Ace Ventura introduces Jim Carrey, the Lego movie, and the story of an unmade musical from the creator of The Simpsons? Yes, this week on 302010. Hello everyone, I want to th- <clears throat> Hello everyone and welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine. Hello, taking you 30, 20, and 10 years back in time, and this week is going to be insane. Chief among the reasons, we are going to do something that A, we have never done before, and then talk about something most of you listeners have never seen before. Thank you, mystery person, for helping us track down an a very, very rare copy of something most of the world has not seen. More on that in a second. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and yes, there are some things I never thought I would see. Uh, a black president eradicating polio <laughs> and the movie we're going to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm J.R. Alls, and uh, let me ask you a question. <laughs> Did you really think you would not see this film? Y- yes, because I've I've looked for years and just not not hard and it's was difficult to come by and uh, yep. cannot wait to talk about it but it's coming up soon. Got to thank our patrons Patreon dot com slash Laser Time. Bunch of bonus shows still out there on the uh, uh, Patreon. Uh, over a hundred, over maybe like a thousand shows at this point, including in depth looks of some of the uh, stuff from forty years ago. We don't get to talk about on the show. We got Terminator, Gremlins, Vacation. We did recently Strange Brew, and we even did. Uh, should we spoil what we did? We might be having coming up a little punk classic called Repo Man. That was a really good one to rediscover. Talking about all those movies in depth we don't get to do here because it's about 30, 20, 10 years ago from the week of February 2nd through February 8th, 1994, 2004, and 2014. Get it? 30, 20, and 10 years ago. You should be in different phases of your life. If you're not, I can only assume you're a Ghostbusters fan. Boy, you're annoying. Um, <laughs> sorry, there was a new trailer out. I just hate hearing from those people. All right, let's get into this, because we got a lot to talk about. 30, 20, 10 years ago, open up that 1994 portal 30 years ago, February 2nd through February 8th, 1994. A little bit of news, and it's sort of a big one, because this seems like this took this long. President Cl- Bill Clinton lifts U.S. trade embargoes against Vietnam. Yeah, yep. there was a lot of hatred over Vietnam winning the war totally. and just general anti-communism. I don't think this would have happened without the fall of the Soviet Union, but the mm-hmm. Soviet Union has fallen and we're trying to bring the new world order into being, really. Yeah, and I think the way Clinton made it out is that we still have a lot of unanswered questions about our boys who died over there and maybe we can get a little give a little of that, but either way, it's not a bad thing. It just astonished me. We were little kids when this happened, and Vietnam felt forever ago. This is less time between now and the latest Gulf War. Like, Vietnam was so recent, and it never felt like that to me as a kid. And I'm just starting to appreciate it doing this show. Just yeah. pointing it out. Yeah. It's usually yeah, JR's thing, years. but I beat him to it. It's 19 years. Less than 20 yeah. years. Yeah. Basically, the equivalent is in the year 2040, are we going to have trade with the Taliban? <laughs> Depends how good how good of a smartphone do they make? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we will see. You'd have to have something to trade. Like I'm not going to defend Vietnam's human rights record, but I don't know if it's Taliban level. 
But I see what you're saying. Are, are we are we going to allow Klingons to pilot the Enterprise? Probably. <laughs> Great idea. We do have some Star Trek information later in the show. But let's depress ourselves with some Medgar Evers news. Uh, the murderer Byron DeLa Beckwith uh, sentenced to life in Jackson, Mississippi, 30 years after the crime. Ugh. This yeah. motherfucker was tried twice by all white juries in Mississippi and and... What's amazing is he got a hung jury both times. He wasn't acquitted. Mm -hmm. And then he spent the rest of his days telling everyone he'd done it, Mm -hmm. bragging about doing it. He got arrested going to, like, the head of the B'nai B'rith's house. He was going to shoot that guy, too. So he actually did a little bit of time for his professional racism. But, yeah, it took 30 years to finally retry this motherfucker. And uh, he got all of, uh, like, seven years before he died in prison. But also, fuck him. He's a Klansman. He shot... A civil rights activist in the back coming home to his kids. Fuck yep. that guy. Better late than never, but really, that's such a light sentence. I mean, he didn't lose all of his life. Yep. You know, he. that's the point of a life sentence. We're taking you away from your life, and you're going to not be killed, but you're not going to be happy. You're going to be in jail for the rest of your life, and that's one thing if you're a young man and you've got all your life ahead of you, but when you're an old person and you die six years into the sentence kind of a light yeah. punishment yeah. really it doesn't it yeah. doesn't feel like justice was done at all yeah and then other things that distort my perception of time jack nicholson this week uses a golf club to attack a car was it a car taxi cab what did the car do <laughs> honked at him <laughs> he it was road rage it was a celebrity with road rage yeah. and if this had happened today there would be Footage. 17 cell phone video yeah. shots of it it would re- be replayed endlessly on youtube but he got made fun of on the late night for like well, six months and then i was gonna say letterman stretched this out it my perception was this (laughs) as a kid was like i guess this is something jack nicholson does all the time because even when he hosts the oscars he will film a bit smashing a cab with a club as a reference to this and that's like in a year so he's still Mm -hmm. letterman never let this go so letterman warped my perception of how long this quote-unquote scandal was also warped was me not knowing who jack kirby was despite only being able to afford old Jack Kirby comics, but it wasn't publicized in the news. He wasn't Stan Lee, but Jack Kirby... Not not in the news news. Marvel ran some letter columns about it, and uh, I was a huge Marvel fan at the time. This is my peak of Marvel. I'm like buying 90% of the issues they're publishing at this point and just reading everything. So this hit me. This was like, wow, this guy... I didn't notice at all, yeah. but again, I knew new issues were out of my price range, so I was it was mostly old stuff. Let alone like the the print delay. You probably found out about it four months after it happened. But Jack Kirby like might be the one of the the most unsung pioneers of everything we love about comics, from both brands yeah. to his own exclusive stuff, things you enjoy in the you'll, MCU and DCU. You'll find a lot of Stan Lee fanboys and a lot of Jack Kirby fanboys who just fight with each other all the time. The thing I always tried to get across is it's a collaborative medium yeah okay it's a team that made the properties you love and once those teams separated they never created an ip as wonderful yeah. and amazing as the dozens ips they made together and i think i yeah. think the criticism i will hear because i don't like who's better who deserves more credit i don't really care about that it's just that like Stan Lee, his legacy is now under the Disney umbrella, and they have a tendency to tell a story that they like and prefer and leave out the people they don't. 
and Jack Kirby had no affiliation with Disney ever in his life. So I, I they, they made a Disney documentary about it. Remember, people like this is kind of repugnant to like not bring up other people during this and kind of disnifying, whitewashing the history of Stanley. Not that he's not a legendary pioneer in and of himself. He's got plenty of great legacy stuff. Anyway, let's move on. This is not yeah. that podcast. It's a I don't even think we podcast. explained. Yeah, he passed away. He was seventy. He passed away. <laughs> died of heart failure. Yeah, normally we save the deaths for the end, but uh, we've got a couple notable ones this this time that it's like, but this actually made news, so we should probably talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah why not? And then uh, let's get into the movies of 1994, February 2nd through February 8th. First up, wow, I meant to rewatch this because it has been 30 years. What a silly week. Roy Scheider, Juliette Lewis, Annabelle Sciorra, Lena Olin, and Gary Oldman, and Romeo is Bleeding. Not the prequel to Romeo Must Die. No, Very sorry about no, that. No. It's confusing. <laughs> this is a weird fucking movie, man. Because mm. it's like a neo-noir about a corrupt cop and a hit woman and a mob boss. And everyone's like going back and forth on their allegiances. And like Gary Oldman plays sleazy cops kind of better than everybody. <laughs> but like, I also meant to rewatch this because I remember generally liking it. it. It turns out it got terrible reviews, but mostly it's because Lena Olin is so fucking cool in this movie. Oh my God, she plays a hit woman who wears basically nothing but garter belts and men's <laughs> jackets as clothing and then just immediately seduces everyone and then murders them horribly and just <laughs>, laughs while doing it and runs away. It's like, yeah. um, she's a comic me? book villain, you know. <laughs> <laughs> she's thigh high woman. That's that's who she is. Thigh and, high uh, woman. Yeah. Yeah. I watched it for the first time. No nostalgia. I don't know. It didn't do much for me. Yeah. Um, the cop is a really weird character. He's taking all this money, but he doesn't want the money for any reason. And that's not subtext. That's text. He straight up says, I want the money to put in my hole so my hole has more money so I can feed the hole. And that was just one of the things where I was going like, movie, come on, give give me a reason this guy is doing it. Mm. He's got a wife. He's got a mistress, you know, life stuff. But a great Gary Oldman performance. And, you know, kind of in a time before anti-heroes rough super rough indie movies people were craving something like this yep and then uh next up (laughs) like (laughs) holy crud problematic movie in motherfucking blind i started problematic movies begin now (laughs) (laughs) yeah i love it when i get messages of jr or someone going into something cold and they don't know what they're walking into and i just laugh and laugh (laughs) oh and that would be Beautiful the bastards. arguably uh, France's greatest actor, biggest actor, his biggest American performance. Well, I mean, green card. We've already had green card. Uh, I, I just remember this, this playing is, okay, every single like, day. Yeah. This movie was marketed as, hey, fat guy, water skiing, go boom. Yes. That's and how it was, this it was sold to my little marketed. sister. Because it, uh, little baby Catherine Heigl, let's introduce it, Dalton James, Catherine Heigl, Gerard Depardieu in My Father the Hero. From Touchstone Pictures, she's just met the boy of her dreams. The only problem is she's with her father. What are you wearing? My bathing suit. Morphing? So she's going to tell a little lie. I told him you were my lover. Are you out of your mind? Now, the only way she can get out of this mess... When I start lying, I can't stop. ...is to drag her dad into it. I told him you were dying. I'm dying. Gerard Depardieu. Father the Hero, rated PG. Touchstone. (laughs) Touchstone. Disney Disney. did this to you. This is a remake 
of a French film that also starred Gerard Depardieu. Mm-hmm. It was so nice they made it twice. JR, tell the <sighs> people about this movie. This <laughs> is about a 14-year-old 14. girl played played by a 15-year-old, by the way. Not played by one of these like 18-year-olds, oh, I'm 14. No, this is a 15-year-old playing a 14-year-old who, oh boy, <laughs> pretends and tells everyone that her father is not her father, but is actually, in fact, her lover. Her lover. Mm. Yeah. lover. And, oh boy, listeners, do not Google Catherine Heigl, my father, the hero, thong, or you will be on all the watch list. Mm-mm. All of the watch list. This movie does not have a problem highly sexualizing this 14-year-old character played by a 15-year-old at all. It is full-on oogle male gaze very revealing outfit like like that's a porn swimsuit that is a swimsuit you see in a porno yeah i was texting with my girlfriend and her memories of the movie were like oh i remember loving that movie and then thinking about it and and she said i don't know almost incest is hilarious as long as one person is french like yeah but no (laughs) no it's it's the idea of like why does this have to be a character so young yeah, and and it's because anyone who is twenty year older would have enough brains in their fucking head mm. to not do this because they're not fourteen. Okay, you you could have had her have mental problems. You could have had it be a eighteen <laughs> year old Hilarious. who is you know <laughs> in and out of therapy and she has a chronic liar syndrome. Okay, that's it. She cannot help herself from lying. It goes so creepy, listeners. It it just goes some places. You're just like I. You cannot make this film today. I am dead it's... serious. That's not me being facetious. There is not a studio executive in all of Hollywood who would greenlight this film today it, at all. And ever. It, I think it shows you it was probably problematic back then, too. But most people just saw dollar signs like this made a ton of money overseas. I, Why wouldn't I our version make a ton of money to the Siskel and Ebert review? Mm-hmm. And they did not bring up the the original things we're bringing up. Oh, really? Yeah. I think it's just people shrugging and thinking, well, she's a teenager. And it's like, barely. Ugh. 14 is, uh, yeah. Well, I'm not no. watching ter- two versions of another movie this week. No and way. They go there. There's a scene where Gerard Depardieu is singing, Thank Heaven for Little Girls. No! And no, God damn it. No. <laughs> has that song I do ever not been creepy? Uh, it's only it, I tend to see it nowadays it's only used by villains they'll sing it to, <laughs> they'll hum it before they do something terrible but again okay. like, like it has to be talked about because I endured this movie on almost a daily basis and it the thought never occurred to me because I was younger than the girl in the movie mm-hmm. but like uh, it, once once you guys started talking about it, I'm like oh oh no oh no this did happen my sister and I watched this a lot I can't wait to tell her about it <laughs> oh no yeah people throw around the oh they'd never make this today label to all kinds of shit it's like no they absolutely would and people would take it wrong and they'd freak out but that's their problem it's kind of hard to take this wrong I, I don't know how you take it right oh that's what you yeah. like I, I don't know yeah, wow. Catherine Heigl is two years older than me. So she yeah. is <laughs> she is yeah. a she is a 
fucking like just teen teen ass teen being sexualized and having to fawn affection over a man playing her own father jesus right. christ and yeah. also the guy that she actually does like who appears to be older than her too yeah probably legal Ooh. age okay um this is gross yeah it should it probably should have stayed in france where the naked ladies do their thing yeah i've heard i'm gonna say this i think this is the most disgusting film i've watched for 30 2010 (laughs) wow Um, not sure what beats it um well you didn't watch naked so i'm gonna go with that for just sheer level of sexual assault in one movie even though i thought that was a great movie (laughs) Sucker punch, but that's for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, what, but why don't we get my father hero? Because once again, I'm not watching two versions of one movie, even for this show, because I already did that this episode. Well, I don't even really know how to get to this because this is kind of not only more work than I usually do for a single piece of 30 2010, something most of the world has never seen fell into our laps thanks to a fairy godmother who can't be mentioned. It's just kind of astonishing. Something I never thought I'd see, I got to see, and we're going to talk about it. And this little thing that no one remembers good or bad things about, it just disappeared. Yeah. Uh, well, at the time, it was, you know, a notorious failure. But yeah, let me go back even further. Sure. James L. Brooks, I don't know if anyone had more power than he had rare one to 93. Yep. Because he was a hugely successful television producer. Then he made a movie that was a massive hit and won all the Oscars, Terms of Endearment. It, Five like, years it, go by. A sm- Terms of Endearment is the second highest grossing of 1983 behind Return, Return of the, of the Jedi. Jedi. Yes. I don't understand yes. what the public... I love that movie. I just can't... I, it's hard to imagine the public being so on board with that in broadcast news, but they were. Right. Five years later, broadcast news, another does really well critically acclaimed nominated for a ton of oscars that movie is incredible and i love it so 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 much then oh by the way here's the simpsons everyone and the simpsons is immediately a huge hit and and it doesn't stop which everyone kind of assumed and it a would. light it would nod out. to the tracy ullman show in there because uh, <laughs> yes and tracy ullman show, but and we'll get into that yeah also but and so it's like, okay, what's his third movie going to be? Usually it's a sophomore slump. That second movie, it can be rough after a huge hit. He did it again. What's he doing this time? And and the, he, the Blank Check podcast has covered this in depth. And they're like the only ones who have like yeah. publicly gone extensively on the record with having seen both of these cuts because that's what this was. Like this guy can do no wrong. Do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. We won't scrutinize it. And, yeah. and so he wants to make a Hollywood insider Musical. Musical. Now, let me talk about how you make a musical for a second. Generally, there you have a book, music, and lyrics. You, you, someone writes the screenplay. There's the incidental music plus the song music and the lyrics. These can be done by one person, or they can be done by three, four, five people. But they work together mm-hmm. to collaborate, to try out things and figure out what the songs are doing, where they need to be. James L. Brooks wrote a screenplay where he basically just wrote, insert song here. Yep. What kind of song? Is it an I want song? Is it a I miss this song? Didn't really specify. And and it's here's here's the really jarring part to me. And I'll do this rattle off our spiel. Why don't I tell you who the cast is? Because they happen (laughs) to be some of the most raspy and unpleasant voices in the movie industry. (laughs) Whitney Wright, who it seems she was only cast for her musical chops. Julie Kavner, who you also might know as the voice of Marge Simpson. Great actress. Tracy Ullman. Uh, and, and sing. 
and, started out in music. Yes. Uh, Albert Brooks, mm. Jolie Richardson, and then, of course, God damn, Nick Nolte. Nick Nolte. <laughs> Nick, Nick Nolte is the star of this musical. James L. Brooks is 1994. I'll do anything. I must get work. I must get work. I must not be embarrassed by these pep talks to myself. Their lives were quiet. Simple. I'm so lucky to run to somebody I know. What's your name again? Uncomplicated. Just the way they liked it. You want to have a little sex? I've never hung up on anybody in my life. That's no. I'll do anything. Man. Rated PG-13 at theaters February 4th. Oh, oh my God. Here is what is so fascinating about this movie. Give it to me. It's it's a behind-the-scenes film about developing movies, casting movies, and screening movies for the public and getting their feedback. There is so much time spent on test screenings yep. in this movie. <laughs> and then they test screened this movie. <laughs> and they got walkouts, which very rarely happens. Yep. I, and then they get... Then they, fuck it, it's not a musical anymore. And they recut it, and they shot some stuff, and they tried to pretend that didn't happen. They did release a trailer, which was promoting it as a musical. So the audience who was, like, in the movie biz knew that this was supposed to be a musical. And as far as I can tell, that had never happened before. There had never been hmm. a musical that was made, and then it's, test screening says, nope, no longer a musical. It's the opposite of what happens now, where they don't tell you Mean Girls is a musical in the trailer. Mm-hmm. And right. It's- and... If you wanted that musical, you would be very disappointed when you saw that ad because they promoted featuring songs by Prince. Prince, Carol Kane. Motherfucking Prince. Carol Kane and Sinead O'Connor. Only one of those people is still alive. And they have unreleased, well, now kind of released. Most of them have made it out there because Carol Kane had the only song. But that is just, these people, uh, this is what it sounds like when doves cry. Oh, homie. Like, <laughs> why are these people singing Prince songs? Oh, wait, wait. I didn't have to do an impression. I actually have a clip of how it would sound because we, in order to talk about this, I'd agree not to play any clips. But this is what it would sound like if Nick Nolte sang Prince songs. Fuck you. Sorry. That's it. That's all we got. Uh, that's all. We, just try and imagine kids. Let that be your jumping off point. But what you're left with is this movie of Hollywood fart sniffery. And mm-hmm. I remember as a kid, I, I watched everything that debuted on HBO. Oh, shit. Uh, Nick Nolte, James L. Brooks movie. I'll watch this. And I thought it would just be about his relationship with his daughter. Tracy Ullman is his estranged ex-wife, has to go to prison. Funny. He has to take care of his daughter full time. At no point does he become a better dad at all. He he becomes a better acting coach to his daughter, but he does not become a good dad at all. He is self-obsessed almost until the very end of the movie. What's in the movie is not bad enough to be bad and not good enough to be great. Exactly. I was going to yeah. say, I was like watching this hoping it could at least be a good bad movie, and it's not even that. It is not a good drama. I'm curious if it's going to be a good musical i'm guessing not but it is not worth talking about except that they cut out the music that's yeah. the only interesting thing about this film yeah. i think if, if for, for, no one knew that it was a musical this would be so forgotten and, and so, most like, people nothing don't because early right. trailers had promised that later trailers left that out and the tv spots don't mention that at all 
So most of the world didn't know what it wasn't getting. They just didn't like what they got. It's yeah. it's film nerds and trivia people who know about this movie, which I think is why no one's knocking down Columbia's door to make a restored cut of this version you didn't see. But, you know, spoiler, oh. it wouldn't save anything. It, yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't save so, anything because like, everything here is pretty undeveloped Like as uh, the movie you can rent now on Apple TV. It's, it's not very satisfying at all. What I find so confusing about this is James Wilbrook spent a lot of time working on broadcast news, spending time in newsrooms, talking to actual people and and really getting the ins and outs of the unglamorous side and, and had a real verisimilitude. This is his industry mm-hmm. that he is satirizing. And it feels so toothless and obvious and stupid with all the talent in this film and all the immense amount of skill I've seen them all bring in the past. Why couldn't this be another player? That's exactly what I had written down. Like how dare you try and make these observations within 14 months of the player? They'd satirize all of this way better. And you get a way better dozens of great performances doing it. Like Albert Brooks, who I love disappears from this movie for long stretches of time. The funny person. And oh, so does Julie Kavner. Right. No, I mean, the basic plot is uh, he's a washed up actor. He's trying to get work. It turns out hey, he's got a daughter. The daughter's terrible. I mean, she's six and she's supposed to be horrible. And so I feel bad because I can't tell if the actress is doing a good job or a bad job because she's so annoying, but she's supposed to be. And then, you know, there's like some other plot about Julie Richardson as a development girl. And she really wants to remake Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. Hi. Hi there. But again, this is such a long movie, and I got to think, why did no one say in the development process of this film, hey, will our audience really want to watch an annoying child for two and a half hours? Let's let's talk about good things that came from this, except that uh, it like hooked up James L. Brooks's career. Well, He's got a, a little bit, but that's that's it. the thing. He had he had not only the power to get this movie made with nobody questioning him. He also had the power to take it all out, which he did. It wasn't like something he was forced to do. It was it was his call and yeah. based on horrible audience reaction. And come on, he's he's like nominated for Oscars like three years later. <laughs> right. That's it. He's got one good movie in him left. He's got as good as it gets. And, and he hasn't made a good movie since. You don't like Spanglish? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I do not. But it's, it, like the, also, we like let's not. He je- the critic just came out last week. And yeah. at, at this point, he has been the can't fail boy of multiple mediums and has kind of kind of eaten it in, in yeah. the same week. Yep. But it's, here's a good thing that came out of this. So uh, you must remember this did a wonderful series on Polly Platt, who worked a lot with James L. Brooks. And as a producer and Gala stuff, she is credited as a producer on this. It sounds like she was telling him a lot of the things that we were saying, like, that's yeah. a bad idea. Maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe you should do that. And she was getting kind of frozen out of him, him being like, I know what I'm doing. So she went and worked on other stuff. Like there was a script she liked by uh, some kids in Texas and she went and helped them develop that project and get it made. And that's why we have Wes Anderson, Luke Wilson and Owen Wilson. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 She's a fascinating. If I'll do anything and succeeded, Bottle Rocket might not have happened. And, and, and yeah, I think what you're left with here is uh, the this, this story of a struggling actor. Okay, great. An inside Hollywood movie who's trying to reconnect with his daughter. He does kind of, it, he never stops leaving her with people. 
never no, spends any more time with her. on the convenient Latina who lives in his building. Yeah, he at, never mentions payment. At, at best, you would describe it, well, how does this culminate into one thing? Like, he discovers, once his daughter is discovered and cast in a sitcom, that he can train his daughter to be the actor he'll never be. That's not a positive story. <laughs> not Especially not in 1994. I will have my child fulfill all it my needed, dreams. <laughs> it needed to be the player. Mm-hmm. We needed to see how horrible his character is yeah. and have him end up in tears and crushed at the end and her going off with someone who will love her. Yeah, instead it, it all resolves... Not unlike a musical. I'm saying the non-musical version. Like, And then everybody's happy at the end. But the show wasn't picked up. You suck as a dad, and you still have to do this. Uh, the only oh, thing you bonded true. over, she got, she's, she's now done with. Uh, what? Is this yeah. couple going to oh. get together? Is this couple no, going to get got, together? No. She got discovered to be on a sitcom that looks terrible. It looks fucking awful. <laughs> wow, is it bad. And then at the very last minute, Julie Richardson, who's, you know, been like the person who wants to make real movies that say real things all of a sudden in one scene now she's the villain that was a little strange just happened i thought there 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 was some framing there because she's like i had this movie i've written so many treatments for you like what is it like it's a remake of mr i thought that was a joke like she doesn't know what she's Mm -hmm. talking about she has no if you made a joke that she doesn't know this movie's already been made that she's she's got a good heart and maybe good taste but is clueless as to what's happened before this movie is very fucking confusing and i can yeah. Spoiler for what we're about to get into. It's not just because of the musical sequences. It's because some of the ambiguity in regards to what these who these characters are and what they want. Mm-hmm. Uh, you 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 feel like chunks of it are missing, but I've seen the missing chunks. It does not help at all. We are talking about this movie more than like any critic did in 1994. <laughs> well, with that out of the way, we we got to go into the version you did not see and sorry to say Nazi, but but more <laughs> but more that I never thought I'd be able to see this. I always knew this exist. I'd always looked for it. And with a little help this time, I actually got to see <laughs> that version. See, th- there's something about not being able to do mm-hmm. something that makes you really want to do Absolutely. it. Because I guarantee yeah. you, if they had just released the musical version, oh, I never would have gone to VHS see it. Oh. in 1995. Never. You never would have or, cared or about Or may- maybe at the dawn of DVD, if they told me, well, you know, like a Blade Runner's director's cut kind of thing. You can right. maybe see something like that. And this is much more insane than any of the cuts of Blade Runner. So, <laughs> But the mere fact that we couldn't for 30 years, you know, I was reading Premiere Magazine 30 years ago and I was like going, what the heck? This is so weird. And then just the Internet came along and not every year, but maybe every like five years, I'd come across that thing and be like, oh, yeah, is there any version of it? Nope can't watch the musical version it's just not on the internet people there's no clips in the dark songs look on your torrents look on your youtubes you're not gonna find this there's no clips there's no documentary footage well there almost was a screening of it and that's what diana's getting to yeah you the reason why is because when they said okay we need to change this it can't be a musical anymore Let's just make this a straight drama. You just pissed off Prince. Mm -hmm. You just said his stuff wasn't good enough. And Prince was very, very particular about his music and what versions he wanted you to hear and what things he did not want to hear. Also, remember, we are in the period where he is on a world tour. He's working on a new album. And he says his name isn't Prince anymore because he is a slave to Warner Brothers. Mm -hmm. He just changed his name to a symbol. Okay. This guy is going through things and he got so fucking pissed off that they took his musical numbers out that you, you can't find. That is why 
you can't find this movie. He eventually released a couple of the songs on his own. Yeah, but recuts. Recut, him doing it. He He's re, replayed with them. Because, I mean, they're his songs. They're his he should songs. be able to do what he wants. But it's the Prince's State. They will come for you. They will send you cease and desist letters. Yeah. If, if you try to show this to he anyone. Did, they have li- bots on the internet looking for it right now. He was litigious while he was alive. And so, like, I'm not... Sh- I don't mean to excuse the just the, the the tenaciousness of his estate but he was like that that was what he wanted when he was he was alive and and he, and he also re-released them so maybe you don't you know there's something to be said about that if you don't want people to hear your unfinished version of a song it's kind of an artist's right to do that Shade O'Connor will never know but her song I think literally only Carol Kane she has is the only one with a credit left the and song- it's for the it's the song that the little kid sings and then she forgets the words, and the kid's like, I forgot the words to the baby song. They, they have like, a, a bigger version in the end credits. Fuck you, Carol Kane. The, the Carol Kane version. But um, yeah, it's all you have left to know that these other th- two, these other two megastars were ever a part of it. Well, now's the part where we get to discuss the movie most of you have never seen, sadly. But is sadly the right sadly? word? No. I think the number one thing I have to say is uh, they made the right call. This should yeah. not be a musical. No, it's not to overhype it. It's just not bad enough to be good. It's not good enough to be bad. It is right there in the middle. It is. It's not fun. I can see why they did this. And as Diana pointed out, there was so little thought into it actually being a musical. It functions better with without being one. The musical aspect of it was not central to the film is what amazed me. I mean, I cannot imagine watching, say, Frozen and cutting out all the musical numbers right. or West Side Story and cutting out all the musical numbers. It's all woven into the tapestry of those films. Right. This is the most tacked on musical yep. I've seen in my life, which if you told me they shot this as a regular film and then at the last minute decided to make it a musical, I would find that more realistic than yep. this was always planned to be a musical and they cut it at the last moment. It, yeah. it doesn't make any sense to me. And the songs are not memorable i'm sorry prince fans i I think this is not to prince and sinead's credit the version we watched like that was temporary even for those songs that was the pookity scoop no no you know what i mean you know the actual the actual vocals yeah those are temporary i'm sure they were going to re-record them that's the thing that i found the strangest about all of this is that musically the songs are fine the lyrics feel like they're temporary Mm -hmm. like I mean, they do not feel like up to snuff for Prince. Like, it is some Moon Spoon June kind of rhyming stuff. <laughs> so, dear listener, we saw the test screening. This was not the finalized version of the musical. This is the roughest of rough cuts I've ever seen. And actually, in the movie, there's a scene when they're talking about how then bad the movie is for the test screener, how it's not going to have scores, how it's going to be missing some shots. That was the only clip be... I wanted to play for this show, because that's how... Our yeah. caveat, too. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. That's exactly what we experienced. We experienced a very, very rough cut. Have either of you seen a work print before? Because I, I, I very rarely yeah. have seen yes. a work print. Yeah. I, I was actually going to ask that because I've been in, I went to two test screenings mm-hmm. where I, I saw work prints. It did not have the, the long reel changes, but it had, they had temporary music tracks and someone explained, you know, ahead of it, like, this isn't finished and there's going to be, like, the credits are missing, then there's going to be some parts that are missing it's going to be okay. Yeah, actually, two two test screenings, both Christian Slater movies. I don't know how I ended up. <laughs> cuffs? Did you see Cuffs? No. It wasn't Heather's. Mur- Murder in the First. 
Oh, wow. Uh, which is more of a Kevin Bacon movie. And what was then called Amelia and the King of Plants that was eventually called Bed of Roses. Oh. With uh, Mary Stuart Masterson. And that one, I can almost pinpoint when it was. It was probably 1995 because the temporary music was from Forrest Gump. Mm. <laughs> oh. I remember uh, and that. I... And I was not kind on my, my oh, response yeah. card. And they didn't listen to me. And that's that's one of those things that makes me feel real old. But I, I downloaded Kids in the Hall Brain Candy's work print. Super rough. But if you want that Janine Garofalo scene, it's not online. It's not on the DVD. You got to find that work print. But younger people who've lived through the digital era, that you'll never see anything like a work print again. Once no. I got in the entertainment industry, like it's it's like maybe I remember seeing a Call of Duty trailer with uh, the the Dark Knight soundtrack. But it this is how it's going to look. Like, yeah, well, digital editing has made a lot of Yeah, this you'll never... Smoother. But, like, can you imagine... But just, I was going to ask, Diana, being a test audience, don't think of this as shitty, even though it looks sounds really shitty. <laughs> I'm amazed to say this. This made me more sympathetic to studio executives. Yeah. Because they have to watch movie after movie like this yeah. and try to figure out, is this rough, rough cut? Is there gold underneath this garbage? Pre-digital dailies, can you fucking imagine? Can you imagine how many jobs were centered around pre-digital dailies? (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. what it made me think of. There was probably one guy's job to ship it, another guy's job to pick it up at the post office and and put it on a VCR for the boss. It was like like 10 people's jobs. Oh, no, they courier that stuff. It doesn't go through the mail. It's someone's job to drive a van full of film around. Yep. So I wanted to get into the musical numbers that were cut. So let's walk through this because okay. we're not advising anyone to search this out and bother watching right, it. There's no improvements here. What my biggest disappointment, what I wanted was Nick Nolte singing and Albert Brooks singing and, and oh, homie, I'm singing. I wanted all, those people never do and Almost everything is the opening of La La Land. There is very rarely a Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone moment where they interact with one another in a dance number. And if they do, it's 45 seconds because they know don't do this. <laughs> so... We all have seen it, so mm-hmm. we are better people than you, dear listener. I didn't want to but, say it. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but it was so not worth it. I mean, we're very, very thankful. Thank you, anonymous person. I feel honored to have seen it, and I recommend none of you 100%. do. 100%. <laughs> because I have spent 30 years hearing about this, mm-hmm. and low-key, I always wanted to watch it. And this was the biggest meh of 30 years of wanting to view something. I'm sure... I'm going to feel the exact same way when I watch The Day the Clown Cried. I'm going to mm. be like, uh, this was yeah. a Yeah, well, I mean, some of it is like you're, you, you're hoping to see what they were trying to do. And I'm not. And the, the release version, there's a couple points where it seems like they're building up to a song. Yeah. <laughs> and then they don't. But no, those aren't really well, moments they were building up to songs. This is something that doesn't really matter. I don't know what work print we got. Having watched both of them very close to one another, there are two scenes that are clearly alternate takes in different locations. It seems like they're building to a song, and then there's a real change, and like either the song hadn't been filmed yet, or it was cut out of that cut. When Nick Nolte has his scene confronting that executive, one's an outdoor location with a different actor, one's an indoor location with a different actor. Why would that have been in this print if there wasn't something else there? It's the same scene. Yeah. No, I I don't think this is a completed version yeah. either because well I know for a fact that there are two songs that were written for this that Prince oh. has Prince subsequently released that we did not see okay. in this print. Good math. One of them one of them I could tell where it was supposed to go. There was supposed to be a song called There is Lonely 
I'm pretty sure Albert Brooks was supposed to sing it. And I can basically pinpoint where it is. Like, there's a point where he's like, he, he booty calls Julie Kavner. She says no. And then he's depressed. Yes. Like, that's probably where that scene went. I don't gotcha. want to hang up on people because I feel like they could say something to redeem themselves. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying right. to do I had to watch this movie. This movie I didn't like so many times. I end up quoting it now. Yeah. Okay. So let me, let's run through it. Uh, the, the changes, the, the musical version starts with a flashback to the 70s with Un- the big opening number, Wow! Super Unnecessary! And and yeah. it really kicks what off the... What purpose did it serve for us to see that he was in Godspell? I, yeah. But I know that's one of those <laughs> things you, you film because oh, I, I'd love to see how this scene plays out. And that scene, I think, would have been cut regardless of if it was still a musical because it, yeah. it, it, it doesn't serve us any purpose to watch Tracy Ullman and Nick Nolte to fall in love. It only matters that they're not together and had a kid. That's all that matters. Yeah, don't need it. Uh, the next number is they go to. A, but it, the, it, uh, it also test. it also right, establishes well. most of the musical numbers will be the main actors walking around professional singers and dancers and not doing any <laughs> musical shit. That, yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the next number they go to text test screening for Albert Brooks's big dumb movie, and this is where he sings "I'll Do Anything." Titular line. Title track. Titular line. I said it. Right, and it's about him pleading with the test audience of he'll do anything to get them to love him. But uh, this is another one where it's like the lyrics, this seems more like a love song, and the lyrics kind of don't fit what this is about. This is, but conversely, this is what I wanted from the musical cut. I wanted yeah. people who shouldn't be singing, dancing. I think knowing that the title of the movie comes from a, de- a desperate executive talk pleading to test audiences i'll do anything i'll cut this i'll fire this person he is singing about i think it makes the movie 10 percent funnier (laughs) (laughs) but to repeat myself the central premise of the movie is flawed it needed to be a lot more desperate if the if your film is i'll do anything it should be about scumbag hollywood guys who will do anything to Mm -hmm. make this film and they all need to be garbage people and we need to really (laughs) revel in their garbageness and we don't get enough of that there's a smidgen here and a smidgen there but it's not enough to be satisfying or to make a coherent narrative and he brooks said he made this as a a love song to the the industry that showed him so much success it's not the movie isn't very nice to any of these people and doesn't portray anyone when you take the musical numbers out it's not kind to executives to writers to actors or directors No, but but this is I think I agree this is the moment that comes closest to why you make something a musical is when you want to express a emotion too big for words. Yeah, yeah, like if you had to see Elsa talk into a mirror or a little mouse about how bad she feels or would you rather she build a castle with her mind and sing about it? Bingo. Like yeah, that I this is the only redeemable musical part. Well, Albert Brooks in general has the only redeemable musical parts because if we're yeah. just going to break it down, but this one this is the this is if you had to see a clip from it, I hope this gets released first. It just starts with him leaning waist waist long out of a limousine, screaming, I'll do anything to this audience. Ah like <laughs> that should be seen. There's not a single other thing in here that is interesting, musical wise. No. And there's a ton of tap dancers, and I don't think you even mentioned that they got Twyla Tharp to choreograph this. I don't know who that is. That's why I didn't mention it, but She's rather famous. She's famous enough that you want to go, Twyla, Twyla, Twyla. Oh. Madonna, Madonna, Madonna. Fussy, fussy, fussy. Yeah. All right. Exactly. All right. All right. See, I, mean, I knew you would know that. I, I, I knew it. I wanted to know if the audience did. So, uh, uh, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Right. Okay. So, moving on, Tracy Ullman, they go to pick up the kid. Tracy Ullman sings a song called Don't Talk to Strangers, which Dumb. has been released. It's terrible. 
It's yeah. dumb, and it slows down the movie, and you got how painful it was for a mother to leave her kid in the regular scene. It was pointless, and it was yeah. kind of a... It might be the only reason Tracy Ullman's in the movie, because she's the only fucking singer here. She's the only yeah. singer in the cast. She's got a, She had a single in the UK charts. You might have heard it if you ever watched the end of Tracy Takes On. Yeah. What's really weird is I believe this is when she was suing over Simpsons merchandise rights. And I think she dropped James L. Brooks from that suit because they were working together and it made it awkward. Yeah. I th- and she eventually was on The Simpsons. So I think all is all is forgiven. E- eventually. Mm-hmm. All right. So then after that, the kid sings a sad song. Horrible. I, sus- I suspect it's the one Sinead O'Connor wrote, but I'm not sure because lyrically it fits more with Prince because God comes up. <laughs> so it might be Prince. Yeah, I I don't know, but it, yeah, it's a somewhere out there song. But it's like I wish someone would love me, and it's like awful. It's pretty bad. I mean, again, it's, it's all not awful enough. It's 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 just a to song. Be cool. I will never ever whip this out for a bad movie night. Nope. No. Ever. Uh. Uh-uh. Yeah. Nope. It was like I I have a copy of this, and I'm like, ooh, I I know a local movie theater and a movie community. Like none of them would be interested in this. This would never pay mm-hmm. off people showing up and paying to see it it's um, not interesting enough mm-mm. uh yep then we get the the one song still in the movie the carol king song you're the best the little kid sings the song about how she's great to try to cheer up her dad chris can i confirm have you been ser- saying carol kane this whole time i think i have yes it's it's the okay. the landlord on uh kimmy schmidt yes of course right <laughs> right carol king carol king I, my, my mother will never forgive me that is like the I only was woman i've it, she's amazing by the way she's she writes she's written like i'm sure everybody knows this but she's written like all the amazing songs from the 60s 70s and 80s oh yeah everyone should listen to tapestry i think it comes free when you're a girl and you move into a dorm <laughs> it's um, right under your rumors albums uh check for, yeah for <laughs> exactly and then she pops up and now she's been cut from this movie she pops up in the next number make believe which is about like people rehearsing for auditions and we get Yardley Smith too. I know she, her and Nicholson have a cameo cut out. Yeah. We got Lisa Simpson in here. Well, Nicholson, it's a, it's a bit of Hoffa that he's watching on a plane for no reason. Oh, I thought, okay. I thought that it was a new scene for some reason. No, no, he's, that's a clip from Hoffa. Oh, God damn. It's so blurry. This stupid copy. Yeah. But Nicholson always makes cameos in Brooks. Exactly. (laughs) They found a way to shoehorn him in really badly. So this number like kind of goes on and on. Again, you're right. It's like the whole ensemble does it. Plus, you're Lee Smith who can sing. And mm-hmm. Car- fucking Carol King, the legend. They're all cut. Also, I realized Harry Shearer's in this movie, and I didn't, re- yeah. didn't realize, oh, he gets lines in the musical version. I don't think he has a line he, in the release. He does have lines, but he's never facing camera, so you don't know who, uh, it, who it is. But it's uh, Harry Shearer, so anybody who's seen five seasons of The Simpsons will absolutely know it's him. Then uh, one that I knew watching the release cut it's like okay something's definitely been cut here albert brooks goes to a fancy restaurant and starts schmoozing and it becomes a dance number that and is julie kavner is saddened by this and sings a sad song that's what i was hinting at earlier when she dumps him when there she's being introduced to his friends it feels abrupt but she's just watched him in, like ingratiate and embarrass himself while singing how much it sucks to <laughs> that's the only <laughs> sequence i think might have should have been in the movie because it makes it feel like she made a rash decision. But no, I just what Albert Brooks is twirling around like mask of the red death style around all these <laughs> LA idiots. And like, to me, it's yeah, it's like the only sequence that may have belonged in the movie. Like it could have been a cool fantasy sequence. There yeah. was a hint of something there. Yeah. But just a hint. 
yeah, yeah. And, and it makes more it makes more sense what she does later on uh, but again otherwise every everything everywhere else you would never know this was a musical or there was something cut out of it because the songs don't mean anything and the sequences right. don't do anything it's generic as hell yeah yeah and it's uh, there's this weird the pacing on the songs is really weird too there's huge stretches with no songs and then we'll get one per scene just boom boom, boom. yeah that's right because there'll be like 30 minutes with uh, like this is the musical version right but again i think <laughs> they were unfinished numbers or they were cut out in the work print that we got if you'd like yep. to compare codes fellow <laughs> musical i'll do anything watchers maybe we can do that i'm sure this is the only one that got out yeah, I think there is another work print that's shorter. So we're we're, we're watching the most it's over two hours. Anything that we can. Two hours twenty. Two hours twenty minutes. Uh, all right. Then here's the number I was looking for. Be my mirror, because finally Nick Nolte's going to sing. Barely. Barely. He's going to talk, sing, and this is like, yeah, this is a moment where it's like, okay, a musical number actually fits here, where it's like the little girl is you know, worried about uh, d- doing acting. And he's like, I'm an actor and here's, you know, let's work on this. And it's cute and the song's pretty bad, and, but... And the, maybe the only basis it. for making this a musical because I don't think the movie properly conveys and maybe it's not important to convey how excited Nick Nolte is that his daughter's taking an interest in his career or his, yeah. in his profession. And I can teach, we can relate through this. And this is the longest scene where they do that in. So once it's gone... None of that is really that resonant in the, the final film. <laughs> but this scene sucks, and their dancing sucks. Yeah. And it seems like a, a like a literal daddy and daughter doing an impression of a musical, and you just have to sit there and watch it. It sucks. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you're right. You're right. I'm at a dinner party, and they all want to show me how talented their kids are. Yes, that is, it's excruciating. Yeah. <laughs> look, look at this dance we made up with my daughter. La, 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 la. Like, ugh, gross. Ugh, yeah, it. right. And then finally, they have the they shoot the pilot of the t- TV show that looks fucking terrible, and immediately find out it wasn't picked up. Like they're not even done, and they're like, "Yeah, it didn't get picked Good. up." That's, that that's was a big the right decision. Oh, right. Yes. I, I, I was watching the work print, and the sitcom is about a uh, mo- mostly black orphanage, and Albert Brooks brags, "I bust in two black churches to the, to the test audience." I'm like, funny line. Oh, that's why they cut it. Because those people will eventually be part of the musical number. That's why he had to say it, to introduce why they're... Yep, and then, okay, so it turns out that's okay that didn't get picked up, which is actually, that's like, that's a cute moment that they could have left in the movie, where yeah. she's 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 not upset that she doesn't get to be famous. She's upset that, oh, does that mean we're not going to have a rap party? I mm-hmm. want to go to a party. And they're like, acting is over now, but we are going to have a party. And she's I like, was, okay, cool. That yeah, was yeah, pretty we're... nice. Like, yeah, I get to go hang out with all the people I just spent the last couple weeks with it. Yeah, that was pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. That, I, I and we still see the rap party, so why not let her say that? Huh. Yeah. but So, yeah, then we get a, a reprise of Wow uh, at the rap party with all the kids, and also Rosie O'Donnell and Woody Harrelson have shown up. Yes. we. Had, I don't even know that we mentioned Woody Harrelson has cameos in both both cuts. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple, there's a couple people, too, that it's just like, they go by real fast, and you're like, oh, shit, was that so-and-so? Yeah, it was, before they were famous. Usually. Anyway. Yeah. And then we get another reprise. We get a- another reprise and it's I'll do anything uh, again. But now it's about like caring. And My Little Pill is the only other song that I know of that wasn't that, that Prince released. And uh, I would have loved to hear Julie Kavner sing it because it's uh, trippy and druggy. <laughs> and I can kind of tell where it would go because there's a scene where she's like taking a bunch of antidepressants. And that's the thing that makes her never lie. Is that the scene where she's in- where you get to see Albert Brooks's 
upper thigh. Ooh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's like really weird bed. It's like three couches pushed together. Yeah. I don't know what the hell it is. It looked like it was my pool house. I don't know. I don't know. But right. I'm glad we did this. I'm glad we saw it. It is unrecommendable. It's just more of a fascinating what could have been. Do not go out of your way to do this, listeners. It's well, not worth it. It's not. Well, that's but that's yeah. the thing, though. If, if If someone told you there's a documentary with footage of both and people talking about I would totally go see that but like as a two and a half hour movie save yourself some time let's just pray for like a someday TCM will make a really cool unmade movie podcast I, I wouldn't wouldn't that be a good idea I love documentaries about unmade movies they're great they're fucking yeah. great we should have mm-hmm. a man of La Mancha uh, version of this I would love yeah. to see that yeah that finally got made and no one cares yeah I know who gives a shit no one gives a shit I found it interesting to compare this to a musical we'll talk about later in 1994 with the same composer of the score, but not the songs, Hans Zimmer. I compared this to The Lion King, mm. which is not fair. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very interesting to say, okay, how many songs are in The Lion King? Where are they spaced out? And I realized, oh, Lion King only has five songs and it's 88 minutes long. So that's a, that's a song every 17 minutes minus the length of the song. I just can't wait to be king. God, why does my Albert Brooks keep verging <laughs> on Nixon? It, <laughs> but then, I, you know, compared to like thinking about what are those songs? How do they function? What yeah. do they tell us that you can't learn through dialogue? And it's like, oh, night and day. Yeah. It, it, and it, I, all I could think of is like, had he just seen Little Shop of Horrors? Because the, the three singers, one of which is Tisha Campbell, they do stand outside the movie and transition you through scenes, and that is a majority of the musical numbers. Extras, people who aren't the main actors, doing establishing songs. God, I hope I get it. And I don't remember what the song was, but they're talking about people auditioning for a part outside of a building. That's what the musical yeah. numbers are. I'm do- We're doing a show, song about a show. Where are the actors? This is bullshit. Maybe if you hired someone other than... The thing is, I can think of like 10 talented people who would have made better actors for a movie if you wanted to do this you get like a Hugh Jackman or a Gosling in there so like you could make something out of this but Nick Nolte clearly wasn't the guy he was just the most recent recipient of people's sexiest man alive (laughs) big movie star at the time (laughs) yeah he was and I I mean I applaud him for trying something different this was definitely outside his wheelhouse I I don't get it at all I don't get it at all it was a it was a I don't. I don't think it was a waste of my or our time. Maybe the listeners' time, but definitely a waste of James Brooks' time and, and Prince's and Sinead O'Connor's. Like you should have thought this through a little better. But that's what happens when you're for stealing the the blank check. When you got that blank check to make whatever you want, you just don't think things through as well. We'll cut it afterwards. I think people have. If you read that expose in Variety about Marvel, they're not making a lot of decisions beforehand, but making a lot of decisions afterwards and during. And same with when we talk about the difference between The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. A bunch of stuff not planned, not, did you think this out? Should this work this way? Why put the resources into this if you're not going to, okay, okay, you do what you want, Mr. Brooks. Anywho. So this movie bombed. No no huge surprise that the I'll do anything bombed in whatever version came out. And the next movie, uh, was a ridiculous hit. Uh... 1994 is the year of Jim Carrey. It, this, oh, yeah. And that's why 1994 was a terrible year for me, because I hate this shit. Oh, you're, well, I'm you're, just going to oh. say it right now. I hate this shit. Jim Carrey made something like $250,000 for this movie, and by the end of the year, we'll be at Dumb and Dumber, and he's making he, 10 million. I don't even know how yeah. fast that works, because by the summer, the mask is out, and by the winter, okay. Dumb and Dumber is out. 
Yep. Because the mask was filmed before Ace Ventura was filmed. The mask is a uh, yes. Okay, so... I'm 98% sure of that. I was. Okay. I mean, how that's a huge effects movie. There's no way they did it any time after Ace Ventura. It came out. There's there's no way they could have capitalized that because what I what I uh, let me introduce the movie real quick. Dan Marino, Tone Loke, Sean Young, Courtney Cox, Jim Carrey. It's number of the box office. It is Ace Ventura: Pet Detective. I'm looking for Ray Finkel and a clean pair of shorts. A is for action. C is for crime fighter. E is for excitement. Yes, yes, yes. Now, there's a new way to spell hero. Don't kill me. Jim Carrey is Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Rated PG-13. Yeah, uh, Jim Carrey, again, watching that Jim and Andy movie has a lot of insight into Jim Carrey's life. And the closer thing we have to like a real decent Jim Carrey documentary, he's in his 30s. He's on a popular network sketch comedy show he's had a failed sitcom he's had failed movies he's just kind of a working guy no one's offering him huge parts and then morgan creek gets a hair up its ass like let's make a wacky comedy that'll stand the test of time don't don't come to him like 40th and he's like i want to rewrite the script a little bit and improvise and if you've seen that documentary he's just like i'd already kind of done I excelled as much as stand-up as I'm going to without another kind of break that I can't control. I've done what I can do in acting with another kind of break I can't control. So he, he, I love that he was like, it was originally like a bumbling Clouseau-ish detective. Like, no, he needs to be awesome at this pet detecting. <laughs> and and he uh, needs to be insane. Insane, I will say this. yes. Mm-hmm. I'll give there you that. There's not... A single actor on the planet who can do this, who could have made this work, except for Jim Carrey. They wanted Rick Jim Moranis. Jim Carrey is the only one who could have made Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, as we saw it, become the smash <laughs> hit. This was made for fifteen million. It made like a hundred and fifty million. It was huge. It was quoted on the schoolyard in high school, <laughs> in junior high, in grade school. I, and this is where I think Diana's hatred comes from. Yeah. All this these. Is the part. Part. 17 year old right. boys quoting alrighty then alright so here's the thing I had never actually seen this movie from start to finish because everything I saw of it is so aggressively broad yep it's awesome that I could it's like it's just not it's not my style of comedy I, I need it down 20% I like there is a broad and then there is a you're not just playing to the cheap seats you're playing to the parking lot and that was too much so I said I watched it start to finish and it was even broader than I remember. <laughs> yes. yes. Number one. Number two, the catchphrases often do not make sense within the text of the scene. Like, no one says something surprising to Ace, and then he says, all righty, then they're just sort of crammed in because it got a laugh from someone somewhere. So everything is just stuffed into this box, and it's just that's, pushing and it that's... down. No, it has to be so everything. Not one of this that's and that's why the, the movie is special it is the culmination of everything jim carrey had kind of done all righty then was not his catchphrase in stand-up but how he'd introduce himself he would say it like that in the ace ventura voice he talked out of his butt in, in living color he'd done improvisational comedy and now he's trying his hand at writing and he takes everything he knows as someone who's what most people consider past their youth youthful prime to be a star in a comedy movie I fucking love this movie. 
it, it, no, this I, was this Jim thing. Carrey being mm. his Jim Carreyist. Yeah. So yeah. if he'll never be more Jim like pre nineteen ninety four Jim Carrey, then there's no way you'd like this film. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. It's like I I always liked Fire of Marshall Bill, which is the best, so over the top, but. It's not going to run more than five minutes. <laughs> and this, that's... I could. And were there times where he did something and I laughed at it? Yeah. When he does sort of a little salsa dance to Cannibal Corpse. Right. I got to laugh because that was actually a little subtler. It was just down a tiny bit. He didn't grab a woman and start dancing the salsa. He started just the little number by himself. That was so cute. His little like sneaking around to break into things and like hopping over a fence he doesn't need to hop over and then acting like it's dangerous and hop. Yeah, I, I laughed at all this because again, 20% lower than the rest of it. That shit was actually funny. I'm just uh, just about every time he opened his mouth, I was so annoyed. I'm just hard disagree because like not only is he is he giving course, a funny because how old were you? How old were you in nineteen ninety four? It doesn't matter. I I can <laughs> there's there's one part about this movie that doesn't hold up, and I think that's tragic because kids will love this yeah. movie throughout the end of time. It, so it, I will say this, Diana. Uh-huh. I didn't like this film that much in 1994. Mm-hmm. I really love The Mask. The Mask and Dumb and Dumber are what caused me to fall in love with Jim Carrey. The They're time. better movies. This film yeah, was just like, movies. I watched it. And it was like, yeah, that's all right. And I'm going to say 1994, the most objectionable part of this film didn't register no, to me. I didn't know what a hemorrhoid as was. objectionable at all. Yeah. Yes, there's an enormously you know, trans- that's on me, transphobic 100%. sequence. Uh, yes, I, I was 13 yeah. years old and not very involved in the trans community yet. But and uh, they I will play say, the I think Crying Game song. Yeah. I'm sorry, whoever owns the rights to the Crying Game song should not be licensing it to things because didn't get it. You know how it's going to be used. Didn't. You know it's not going to be good. like my friends and I talked about it. We watched it like every day. It's one of those movies that when it would come on cable, like. I want to flip the channel, but something funny is going to happen in 90 seconds. And it's going to be from something he wrote or something he does with his body. Sorry, Diana. This is our generation's Charlie Chaplin. Kids are going to love this years from now. Yeah. Yeah. As as I mentioned, this film made $150 million. So I will say I think this is probably the most popular transphobic film of all time. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, and I would like to modify it to say it is an enormously insensitive and transphobic ending. I really wish most comedies that hinge on a mystery film an alternate take. I wish there, that's the only thing that'll keep this from being enjoyed for future generations because it's there's some jokes that'll go over kids' heads, but most of it will be funny forever to, I mean, to any language he's you speak. Making pointless references which were outdated in yeah. 1994. A lot of his references to. No kid knows the love boat in the current year. (laughs) And a lot of them didn't know it in 1994 either. Yeah. I think that Jim Carrey would talk about that because he he had his like, what do you call that? That Patrice O'Neill called it your ticket on the ride where you get in line and they they put you on the roller coaster and you're on the stardom roller coaster. And sometimes you get off and you can't get back on. You just have to get back in line. Jim Carrey had done that. He'd been in a sitcom 10 years ago, been in movies, didn't really matter. So it was kind of an all or nothing thing. But he's also in his 30s. He's not a 20-year-old comedian. And it pays off for him because 1994, The Mask, Ace Ventura, Dumb and Dumber, all go to number one in the same year. That had never happened to any actor in all of history before that. Three number one films in one year? Nope. Jim Carrey was As far as I've witnessed... Because he's a movie star and not a director, nobody attached to a film was a guaranteed number one like Jim Carrey. He eventually broke the record of getting $25 million of 1990s money per film. And he was, it no would always get a return. Cable Guy was a bomb. 
because it only made twice its money back instead of five times its money back, it still did better than most comedies that year. <laughs> because no one could do what Jim yep. Carrey could do. You it, you could replace Arnold Schwarzenegger yep. with Stallone did it in a lot of those films. You can't interchange Jim Carrey for anyone. Mm-hmm. No one can do what he does. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Not, and, the, not the extreme style of it. No. But that's that's but why it's fascinating. That would have been, and I'm not saying you you have uh, to like it, Diana. I'm just saying like it is phenomenal to watch 30 years later outside of the ending because no one else has done anything like this ever, ever. No one's ever been this spastic. Or had, if you watch early Jim Carrey stand up, and I think there's a whole, rubber face, there's a whole movie about it. Mm-hmm. He can do things with his body and face that no, he did impressions with his skin. Like, <laughs> do you, have you seen him do that? He yeah. can do impressions yeah. with his face. No, no voice. It, it, they're very impressive. Also, I didn't realize that this is Courtney Cox pre Friends. Yes, Friends isn't going to debut until uh, until September. So, yes, that was interesting. Oh, hey, that girl who was on Family Ties, a girl from cool. the He Man movie. <laughs> yeah, pretty. We got much. an ace and tone. And I, tone low. I feel bad for her. No, I feel bad for her because she has to spend so much of the time staring in, yeah. you know, slack jawed. Yes, and obviously not not cracking up, and also like that's her job to function in the movie is like she's the straight woman. No, there's there's so yeah. many takes where you yeah. look at her face and it's yeah. what Courtney Cox is saying in her character. This isn't funny anymore. Mm-hmm. That you can see it in her face because she has to work with this ace character and she has to work with Jim Carrey. It must be exhausting on both ends. Very easy yeah. to do it method. I think this is fun. it's it like yeah the ending blah blah blah. But if that's not your if that's a deal breaker for you i totally understand watching parts i didn't watch the whole thing because i I have this movie memorized and if you had it on tape you have an extended version that's one of the only times i remember that happening the the vhs came out with extra scenes included because then i'd watch it on hbo i'm like what what the fuck they cut stuff they didn't they just it's very rare like a vhs added extra stuff and that's probably how most of my generation watched it i i think it's and it's just I was on board with Jim Carrey day one, and I think I've said it on the show before. He begins an unprecedented successful streak that I have never seen. Haven't done my research on this, but I've never seen any other actor achieve. Because for about 15 years, he had a guaranteed $100 million movie if Jim Carrey was in it, because he was that beloved. And <laughs> No. No? The Majestic. Home. Oh, The Majestic. Well, let's say 10 years. 10 years is like is almost all you get. That's like as successful yeah. as any actor can be. 10 years of number ones. Yep. Now, I don't want to say I don't hate Jim Carrey. In 1994, I did because this was all I was seeing from him. It was just like, I'm going to be the ADHD kid in class who is very distracting and as over the top as possible. Later on this year, we will talk about, I think, his finest hour and the best movie he's ever made. A movie I absolutely adore that says a lot about relationships. He, He got his foot in the door doing the crazy shit, and then he used it to do what he really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Which I appreciate. And then occasionally we'll go back and play Dr. Robotnik and save the entire existence of those Sonic movies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, can't say yeah, enough good I, things about Jim Carrey. I was really hoping that there would be more in this that I would end up being like, well, it's stupid but fun. It was just too much, man. It was just too much. It was just like, <sighs> I want something sweet. I don't want to stick my head in a barrel of pixie sticks. I I'm really curious about our discussion about Dumb and Dumber in <laughs> 10 months, because yep. to me, in my memory, I haven't watched it in a while, 
one of the best comedies of all time. So I'm curious if that holds up. And it's it's also because yeah, he signs on to Dumb and Dumber after Ace Ventura is an excess. I do remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then the, and it's as on, soon as this hits, he becomes a star. Yeah. And then The Mask is a success, and that just makes him a superstar. And then, and then Dumb and Dumber, it's like, well, now you're in your unique category. And now it's like, would you like? Would you like an eight-figure salary to be in a Batman movie? And but that's yeah. also another thing about phenomenons. Like it's hard to address them quickly, and it's a little easier with comedies. We'll have like si- like how- we'll have like six Jim Carrey movies in eighteen months. That's crazy. That's like old that Bob is. Hope kind of shit. <laughs> that is crazy. Also, I like the mask, and I like the over-the-topness in the mask because, in context, it makes some sort of sense. Well, it gives you what you're saying. It gives you a sigh of relief in a movie to, to follow along with rather than a character and, and yeah. you know ace ventura isn't a human being no i mean he's not no, no human being acts I, I, like i ace saw him masturbate so i'm pretty sure he's a human being <laughs> it's in the second movie <laughs> uh anyway let's move on tv because it's oh there's so much of it uh, where on earth is carmen san diego appears that's a big shrug for me i was way out of this This is the cartoon version oh yes. it's a pretty good cartoon edutainment is very tricky you know hey kids did you just finish school how about <laughs> some more school on the tv but you know it it threads that line pretty well i think mm. and then the show i was um i mean i was so gung-ho for the movie aladdin i saw it like Three times in the theater, I watched it, I think, once a day for a period of time in 1993. A TV series, I was just like, I guess like I was in middle school, so I was in, it was like on before I got home. The TV series, and I, I've never even heard the theme, so I'm dying to hear it. To a place where incredible feats are routine every hour or so. Where enchantment runs rampant, just wild in the streets. Open sesame. Here we go! Arabian Night. Yes, it's just like the theme song. The TV series syndicated, depending so it depended what channel you saw it on. I just thought it was mildly impressive how much of the cast they got back. Everyone but the big guy, Robin Williams. I uh, got mm-hmm. Homer Simpson, Dan Castellaneta standing in there who couldn't get a part and I'll do anything for some reason, despite his other Simpsons cast members being in there. Harry Shearer's in there. Dan does a perfectly fine genie. It's, oh, yeah. it's not Robin Williams' genie, but it's a, it's a good genie. I think genie, it's a fine uh, Robin Williams impression. But it's 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 just how the genie needs to sound. But it's also, if you didn't watch the sequel to Aladdin, this picks up after that, which changes people's yeah. affiliations. Iago's good now. That's why Gilbert Godfrey gave me on every episode. And it's set before Jasmine and Aladdin get married, and it actually shows their courtship in the cartoon. Uh, it shows that you have to actively work at a relationship and choose to continue a relationship. So, you know. Mm-hmm. That's that's not the standard Disney we kissed and now we're in love thing. And it, um, it's but also, it's also not afraid to get dark. You know, yeah. there's an episode where they face a mystical creature that has destroyed every other civilization that failed to please it. So, <laughs> oh. yeah. okay, that's unexpected. I wasn't expecting the end of the world on the Aladdin show. <laughs> Jesus. But yeah, yeah in, in terms of uh, movies to uh, syndicated cartoons, I think it's one of the better ones. It's also not on Disney Plus, apparently. Uh, one of the no few idea shows. what their deal is with some of their content. It doesn't Me make neither. any sense. Me neither. Uh, but then, uh, perhaps bigger news for you out there: Star Trek: The Next Generation, the episode Lower Decks. Lower Decks. Ooh, I, I just have to say, I can't believe this is the the last season of Star Trek: Next Generation yeah. that they pull out an episode that so many people consider one of the best. Yeah. Well, it's a fantastic idea. 
what if you look at all the actions of the Starfleet officers and then look at how those actions would look if you were working for them and they were your boss? And, you know, your boss is making all these cuckoo crazy decisions to you because you don't have all the information that they do. Yeah, because every time, like, Kirk has to say, overload the entire engine, like, there's 100 people down here that might explode. Uh, from this this crazy order that Kirk has thrown out, I, I love I love uh, the idea of lower decks writing some of the best in the entire run of Star Trek because it makes us care for these characters we've never met, and it gives them all understandable motivations all within the forty two minute runtime. Mm. Keep going. Big recommend. Mm. I can see why I, I understand the the spinoff series Lower Decks is not actually a spinoff on this but it's just taking the idea of it. I, I, that I, I've, I've seen a lot of so like it does the people with no power on the Enterprise <laughs> it's it's not yeah. a bad premise and you know when my memory of this episode uh, is run through my mind it's always oh yeah that fun fun episode where everyone's having fun and then I watch yeah. it and I'm like oh it's serious and someone dies right and then uh, this week on The Simpsons, Bart gets famous. I didn't uh, do it. I didn't do it. <laughs> I'm young here, and like almost every one of these parodies I got, except for I, this is my introduction literally to Conan O'Brien. Didn't know who he was yet, I don't think. Watch the Conan O'Brien show, you'll see. All right, but after Leno, I'm all left out, you know. <laughs> you know, Conan, I have a lot to say. I'm not just a one line wonder. Did you know that a section of rainforest the size of Kansas has burned every single... Just do the line. I didn't do it. <laughs> I think I think it made me keep an eye out for Conan, and I also would like to establish... I don't know. I may have been watching the show. It's a very... The Simpsons animates season one set of uh, Conan so accurately down to, like, <laughs> the fan on the shelf in the background. It is very, very accurate. It's amazing to me Conan's been on the air for, like, two months now and he's already got two animated versions of themselves yeah. within like a seven day period it was a, a giant friend and that's what i love about it. it's a giant friendly bone being thrown to the guy they used to work with if the yeah. the, yeah. the papers aren't being kind to conan we're just going to show a show and plug the shit out of it work for me work for yeah. me i i appreciate that 30 years later this has become a meme about generational class war and that makes me happy it has um, right. it starts with an article of like how this Gen Zer bought her own house through working hard and saving. And then it's save a line, Bart. And it's like, she was also uh, loaned $100,000 by her parents uh, for the down payment. Like, uh, that'll do it. Yeah. And uh, I, I personally time. love Homer's comment on poor people. From now on, I'll be helping Krusty the Clown after school. Mm, I don't know, Bart. You're only 10. I've got a weekend job helping the poor and I'm only eight. <laughs> it's not a job. It's a waste of time. What could poor people pay you? Nothing. What satisfaction do you get from helping them? None. Who wants to help poor people anyway? Nobody. And they just look at him. <laughs> look at him. And like, <laughs> it's goddamn. If you've been on the side of an actual person, they're the ones usually wearing the red hat, not Bart. And that's all you can do. Anyway, um, <laughs> let's talk about the thing we got. Uh, moving on to Frasier this week. I don't know what happens in this episode, but this episode is called The Show Where Lilith Comes Back. They they didn't have a whole lot of Cheers cast to start out with with Frasier because they're just, hey, it's a new show, new city, we're trying new things. But they got to give the audience some of the old Cheers He crew, can't escape so. his wife. There's exactly. A, his ex-wife. Yeah. Ex Honestly, they, they wrote her out and his son out 
far more than should have been the case. You know, he, he had a stun. He really should have been more involved in that life. But it's a sitcom. OK, but I, I did North is on Broadway. That's why. <laughs> but I do love any time Frazier kind of goes for the farce, which it often does. And it's got some of the just the best farce dialogue in television. This is a mistake. Oh, thank God you said that. Oh, it's not that last night wasn't very enjoyable, but who are we kidding? You've gotten on with your life. I've gotten on with mine. I've got a new career. I've reestablished relationships with my family. I've got a whole new set of friends. For the first time in years, I'm happy. I mean, for us to even consider getting back together, it's just the stupidest thing two people could do. I meant the eggs. I ordered poached, not fried. <laughs> Hi, um. oh. Yeah, the Lilith comes back. They was it, Do they actually spend the night together or just he thinks Yeah, they, they have sex. To? Right, because there's been other ones that are very farcical about he, <laughs> he thinks she wants to, but she's not interested, and then he does something stupid, and then there's a lot of stupid, and then there's hiding in the bathroom. Yep, that's yeah. one of this uh, uh, line that will live with me forever, just the constant... Just like, yeah, hide this, hide this in the bathroom. But it's food in the bathroom. See, and that's uh, why I loved Frasier. I love I, God, when I retire, I'm going to rewatch that. That's that's on my list. But another television show that lives rent-free in my head is the Seinfeld episode, The Dinner Party. This is a perfect Seinfeld episode to me. Uh, they're going to a dinner party. They arrive in the last 10 seconds of the show. So it's all about them <laughs> buying wine, parking, getting babka for the dinner party oh the babka yeah the babka no, have you no. ever had babka i love babka yeah it's wonderful. i've never had babka but i've wanted it for 30 years because of this episode i mean it's just kind of a cake what but what type of cakes cinnamon chocolate yeah you don't want the lesser babka it's the lesser babka george being george he wants to not buy wine not go to bakery and this has lived rent-free in my head for the last 30 years. Bring some cake. Will you stop off at the bakery? Right, Why don't you just get some ring-dings from the liquor store? <laughs> ring-dings? Hey, ring-dings are better than anything you're going to get at a bakery. Oh, I like ring-dings. George, you can't show up at someone's house with ring-dings and Pepsi. Hey, your lights are on! It's a funeral procession. I got news for you. I show up with ring dings and Pepsi. I become the biggest hit of the party. People be coming up to me just between you and me. I'm really excited about the ring dings and the Pepsi. I, I have been to a couple of fancy parties where the food has not been great. And I've sometimes thought, man, I wish there were ring dings and Pepsi right now. And I had to look them up. They're like uh, hostess thingies. I, I've never yeah. heard of a ring ding. Uh, must be a must be a regional thing. It depends on the region. Sometimes they're called ding dongs. And then almost lastly, oh, there's so much this week. MSC3K season five uh, ends with twelve to the moon. I think it's not on DVD. It's more famous for the short anyway. Ah, uh, the short is so good. Designed for dreaming because it's public domain. You see it pop up all over the place because it is the future brought to you by GE. And also Oldsmobile at Motorama in Detroit. It's, yes, 1956. Oh, is this the one with the ovens? Yes, it's the, with the, the kitchen of tomorrow. And you can just have a computer cook everything for you while you dance about. I like will Mr. Never for, Natural. I'll never forget. And then you can go on the road of tomorrow, which is clearly just a little little track. Um, I was taking I was taking cars. some course on feminism, and I'm reading this description of this 1950s thing, blah, blah, blah. I'm like... That's designed designed for dreaming, and this it was <laughs> held aloft as uh, yep. 
50 sexism uh, in some scholarly essay. I'm like, uh, I'm not, I hate to say this, professor. I love that short. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would still like 50% of those things in that kitchen because true. they haven't delivered. God damn it. No. I, I would love it if a computer could cook my food. Yeah. Oh, it is. It's so great. You have to put a little punch card in and then a picture of a cake shows up and then you go and skip around and enjoy yourself. And then you come back and the cake is made with candles and the candles are lit. Sure. Sure. I trust 1956 to bring this to me. God damn it. Oh, yeah. The singing and the dancing about the new Thunderbirds. Oh, the new car. And like the, the giant cars made out of entirely really, really rigid steel with a steering column that'll totally impale you. And they're like, let's sing and dance about this. And the main uh, episode is about space adventure. And I had thought that it was only in Space Mutiny that they start making up names for the protagonists and they get sillier and sillier. But they do the exact same thing in this episode, and it is still hilarious. Poor Captain John Anderson. Oh, boy. I'm going to set this to central stud time because I'm Sledge Riprock. Tank concrete astronaut. Bronk drywall. Stump huge large at the controls. (laughs) Chunk pylon here. Chunk man musk. Captain Ron Codpiece on the moon. (laughs) It is a big beefy bodybuilder as the captain. A very Zap Brannigan 1950s character. And then lastly, we got some TV movies. And I love mentioning this because if you had to replace De Niro, why not Christopher McDonald? Uh, There's no... (laughs) This is irredeemable. Another Midnight Run, a sequel to Midnight Run. They made three of these? Yeah, yeah. Three TV movie Midnight Run sequels starring Christopher McDonald. Now, I appreciate he is in this one. He he is because he's a bail bondsman, right? He's a bail bondsman. Uh, that he's going after a con artist couple played by Jeffrey Tambor and Kathy Mariarty. That sounds fun. I it hate wasn't. these. Yeah, they're not good. <laughs> and and the, they have to kind of synthesize both De Niro's Jack Walsh character and Charles Grodin's character, because that's what people liked about Midnight Run, that they were two different. Anyway. And then the other TV movie is Breathing Lessons with Jennifer Garner and Joanne Woodward. (laughs) I wish you were Jennifer Garner. That'd be very interesting. James Garner Garner and uh, Joanne Woodward from the Pulitzer Prize winning novel about uh, an older couple confronting their lives, which uh, fans of The Notebook might want to watch then if you into James Garner doing that sort of thing. <laughs> Who isn't into James Garner doing that sort of thing? Games of 1994, uh, we got The Horde for PC, as well as Cannon Fodder Games. So The Horde stars Kirk Cameron as a prince. Oh, God. And I was hoping there would be some clip where it was like him being his kirk cameronist but i couldn't find a decent one it's just like oh this is pretty milk toast even as most kirk cameronist exactly (laughs) cannon fodder really deserves to be known as one of the precursors to the real-time strategy genre we're going to talk about command and conquer soon but that, that didn't happen in a vacuum Cannon Fodder is a really fun game where you control a group of soldiers. And it had a bit of controversy when it came out. It released some ads with the poppy, which in Great Britain is a symbol of the lost people in World War I. Oh. Dead soldiers. Mm. Great Britain lost a lot of people in World War I. And it got pummeled in the press as just like, you are making fun of these dead soldiers. You can't do this on a video game. The game gets kind of dark, though. When you lose a soldier, 
it goes out of its way to make you feel really bad that one of your soldiers dies. It gives them a funeral. It plays sad music. And for the rest of the game, your background, it has a grave of every soldier you lose. And the more soldiers you lose, the more the graveyard fills up. Holy cow. Okay. And then we also have... Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Tournament Fighters Street Fighter comes to TMNT and but this one comes out for NES which didn't have a lot of fighting games but they made this for every platform under the sun even like Game Boy I think I can't remember but uh, who could forget the super cool Alfred Chicken who some listener made me coasters of that that I still have on my coffee table Alfred <laughs> Chicken coasters who could forget other than almost everybody Alfred Chicken it exists what what does he do? I don't. I've never He's a platformer. <laughs> he, he, uh, everyone was trying to be Mario, and everyone came out with platformers, and they're all forgotten. And gotcha. then, uh, let's close out with some music in nineteen ninety four because it's been a long segment. Uh, all for love by Brian Adams, Rod Stewart, Stinger. It's still number one. Other new releases <sighs> for nineteen ninety four include Twenty Four Hour uh, Revenge Therapy by Jawbreaker, Brave by Marion. Marilyn? Mar- I don't know. Uh, motorcade, Marillion. Marillion. Uh, motor- motorcade of Generosity by Cake. Uh, Trouble Gum by Therapy for the for Your Own Special Sweetheart by Jawbox. No Doubt About It by Neil McCoy. Paid Vacation by Richard Marks. Welcome to the Cruel World, the debut of Ben Harper. And we will close out with My Little Pill by Prince, which would have been sung by Julie Kavner had you seen the movie we talked probably too long about. But it's one of the coolest opportunities we've ever had on the show. Yep. Day the Clown Cried Next, man. It's coming. (laughs) It really is. It's this year. It's being screened. Picking one of the cut songs that have eventually been released by Prince was really hard. Because those are, they're pretty good. You know, at least the ones that he's released. This one, I had to go with this one because it's so weird. And it's so weird to imagine Marge Simpson singing it. Take us out, uh, Prince, Oh Purple One, and we'll be back right after this. What's a single woman with no real man to do? Trying to raise your kid when they couldn't give a damn about you. All my cares and troubles dive right off my windowsill. Every time I pop my little pill. Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? Then we strongly encourage you to support this show on Patreon.com slash LazerTime. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the LazerTime network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. 84 is a hell of a year, listeners. Yes. And this is one of the films that makes 84 such a special year. I mean, I don't remember. I was very young. And definitely not seeing this movie in the theater, but it's like I was there for the resonant success. Like, I thought this was a franchise that would be around forever, ever. (laughs) Everybody had a dog named Gizmo uh, for a really (laughs) long time. Uh, It's Joe Dante's 1984 Gremlins, of course, we're talking about. I I just wanted to say this off the bat. If this is your favorite movie, you either have no taste or the best taste. (laughs) Yes, yes. Get Bonus Time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just $5 on Patreon.com slash LazerTime. years to live. 
Coming in with uh, 100 Years by Five for Fighting. Off of Battle for Everything, Five for Fighting can only mean it's 20 years ago, 2004. Welcome back to the cent- central segment of 302010, the 20 years ago. Other new music releases from February 2nd to the 8th of 2004 include Bows and Arrows by The Walkman, the self-titled debut of The Scissor Sisters, A Crow Left of... <laughs> A Crow Left of the Murder by Incubus, uh, Start Something by Lost Prophets, We Shall Be Healed by the Mountain Goats, and When the Sun Goes Down by Kenny Chesney. Hey, I'm outcast. It's still number one. Really? 20 years ago in the news? That's what happens? Mm-hmm. 20 years ago in the news. Ten, oh, oh, less than 10 years before the social network, a little boy named Mark Zucky Zuck will steal the idea from the two most handsome twins ever and launch <laughs> Facebook from his Harvard dorm room. And the world, the Facebook, the not Facebook, as, not as clean, mm. not as clean. Yeah, it's more fun to say yeah. now. The Facebook. So I didn't go to a fancy people university, but uh, my brother did, and I didn't realize Facebooks were a thing because you know my graduating class is like I don't know a thousand people in it or more. You know I went to a, a big school, but at your fancier schools they have the Facebook, which is a literal book. Uh, with right. all of the yes. people in each class with a picture and, you know, what what their major is and, like, uh, if they play on a sports team, you know, what college they are. If you're a university, it separates everybody into colleges, which most of the fancy ones do. And um, that's a pretty useful thing to have. Yeah, it's an unsolicited tender with no matching options. Exactly. But which like, is oh, what Zuckerberg I, There's that one guy in my class, but I, I don't know his name. Mm. Let me see if I can find out what his name is. And then I'll stalk him and ruin his life. I I didn't remember that. (laughs) By the time I was in college, that's the only way you could get a a Facebook account. Um, You had to be in college for a little while. Yeah, I remember the time when getting a Facebook account was like, ooh, cool. And I was not part of the cool crowd. Mm -hmm. I uh, I did not get on Facebook until it was open to everyone. I I was trying to make it in those top eights, man. I remember juggling them simultaneously in 2005. What a silly time that was. The yep. Facebook. I'm, I'm out of college it. at this point, man. I, I don't know anything about the Facebook. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, not, cool I'm not even sure if college kids use it because all my friends, teenage people, make fun of me when they see the Facebook app on my homepage because it, it is so beyond them to ever use it, it. No, Facebook's for the olds now. It it's, is. Yes. It is. Incredible thing America, to think of. at least. It is uh, associated with... Uh, people who are married and have kids rather than anything hip and cool. I, I don't I don't blame them. I made fun of the phone book the second I was able to look up phone numbers on the internet. So, <laughs> and anybody who had one, I would leave but, it on my door. what has replaced it? I mean, to me, your TikToks and your Vimes and all that stuff, and let me get my cane and shake it at the cloud, it, it doesn't help you socialize with people the way that Facebook does. I have a good answer. And and again, don't trust me on anything I say on Facebook because we have a conversation the other day, blah, blah, blah. Remember when Facebook fucked up the election? Like, yeah, I remember that. There was a bunch of new stuff. I don't see any news of almost any kind in my Facebook except for entertainment news. I don't know if that's because of my algorithm. Mm -hmm. It's it's your algorithm. Well, Uh, Well, also Facebook, it is illegal for them to post news in several countries now. I think they started downplaying that once they saw how much flack they were getting. I am, my biggest Facebook group is a bunch of people I used to talk alternate history with back on the Usenet days. And we all post history stuff or current day stuff. And so that's a huge part of my uh, Facebook feed when I go on it. 
But, but Discord has taken like because groups is like the best thing about Facebook to me. It's the hello laser time community. Um, yeah. But Discord has taken some of that over. But you also have to think of like every once in a while does something come up like you post this on Facebook 14 years ago. I'm like, why did I think anybody needed to know I was doing this? Is that part of aging or like are your kids? Yeah. They don't care if people see what they're eating. They would never post anything so so glib and like devoid of information. It, nobody posts like, yeah, that new episode of Seinfeld. Cool. Like somebody's got to be mad at it or this has to be the best episode ever. In order for me to see someone post about anything like that, it's mostly tragedies and well, elation, that's, nothing that's in the between. Rhythm. The algorithm wants you mad or sad or uh, well, some I, I definitely deep or, or distracted. My my Facebook feed gives me so many just cute animal videos because it yep. knows I will stop and watch. Yep. Every time, every time they get me. God damn and, it. And, uh, I have very few things where like, what the fuck is wrong with these kids? My Facebook keeps serving me up reels of a hundred people meeting up and fishtailing drifting cars in a circle. And I keep a hundred distinct videos of kids being clipped in the legs by the back, a sliding back <laughs> of the car. It oftentimes brings their pants down as they run off. It's hilarious. And that's the only thing I've had at my age. We're like, what the fuck are you doing? That is the stupidest shit I've ever seen. Stop doing that. For, for me, it's the shorts. Uh, yeah. I have to actively work against getting sexy ladies dancing shorts. Really? Those like just oh. seem to like pop up and be like, I, I really, this isn't why I come to Facebook, Facebook. I'm pretty sure they, they see sexy ladies come down the gumball and they see me. It's like, what would he even do with them? Don't give him that. Give him the fishtailing cars, <laughs> the kids he can get mad at. Uh, no, I, I get... Uh, Cute craft projects, adorable animals, and uh, telling me I should do genocides in Burma? Yeah, I get a lot of... Uh, I did a lot of searching a long time ago. I wanted to decorate my backyard and everything from discarded McDonald's Playland stuff. And something happened after the pandemic where that became rich people stuff instead of trash people stuff. I miss <laughs> being a trash person. God damn it. Uh, mm. Moving on to the movies. Movies of 2004. Happy birthday, Facebook. Yuck. Uh, movies of 20 years ago. Although, I mean, the enchidification of Facebook uh, and the rest of social media feels so obvious now that this is where it was going to go. The second you have something like this, bad actors are going to show up or people are just, yeah, going to post rage bait or they're just going to pass along. This. Well, I don't know if this is true, but it sounds like something the Democrats would do. And and, and, and it would just ruin everything for everyone. And And... and when you don't realize certain things might fall better in the category of public utilities. And when you privatize public utilities, you end up exploiting people over their basis needs. And it's ridiculous. Moving mm. on, moving on to movies, 2004 groundhog day to the eighth of <laughs> I forgot to mention good old Punxsutawney Phil here. Oh, uh, I didn't look up what, what happened in these various years, whether he saw a shadow or not. One of these movies leads me to believe it was cold because it's very cold in that movie. But not Fair. Catch the Kid with Kristen Stewart, uh, Max Theory, Theriot, Corbin Blue, Jennifer Beals, Sam Robards, John Carroll Lynch. Catch the Kid. Catch the Kid. Catch that kid starring something like 12 or 14 year old Kristen Stewart. Not seducing her dad, thank God, this time. But um, how far we've come. Her, her, her dad needs surgery and the insurance won't cover it. So they rob a bank. They do it. They do a, a little baby heist for babies. Mm -hmm. um, Hell yeah. And 
But, like, do you think that no one's going to notice that you just walked into that hospital with $250,000 cash? <laughs> uh. it's, a, it's a baby kid. It's a baby movie for babies. And people were kind of split on it because of that. Of, like, well, kids might <laughs> like this. But then a lot of people just said, like, Spy Kids is so much better. Why are you doing this? Yeah. Well, Fair enough. All right. It looks like all the demos are being served by this trio of films because, yes. To, to me, the next speech, the next film is definitely a case of this has been done a million yes. times before. Why yeah. are you doing it? And the answer is because I can do it well. Yeah, I'll give you that one. I think it does a good job. All right. Uh, Eddie Cahill, Kenneth uh, Welsh, Sean McCann, Noah Emmerich, Patricia Clarkson, and Kurt Russell in Miracle, the movie Miracle. Something that this country is ready for. The Soviets win. My goal is to beat them. I want you to be a fireball hockey player! Think that'll get them going? Oh, yeah. I did bounce out of this, but I wanted to check it out because uh, my dad loves this movie and he showed it to me a long time ago. Like, this is fun. It came on cable. We watched it together. Every other hockey movie I love from Goon to Slapshot. And this makes it in like the top 10 sports movies pretty consistently. And despite not being a huge breakout box office sensation, I think it became like a DVD home video and cable sensation miracle. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, because like like you said, we know what this movie is. Mm-hmm. Like we either know the real story, so we know what's going to happen. Or, I mean, they just told us they told us in the trailer we know what's going to happen. It's a ragtag bunch of college hockey players and their coach, and and can they whip themselves into shape to g- go against those mean old Soviets in the 1980 w- Winter Olympics? And and does it hit every note you're expecting? Yeah, pretty much. It's a much more interesting story than the well. fucking dream team. I mean, <laughs> exactly. It hits them so well. Like, this is out of all possible versions of this movie, mm. this is like the best one. Yeah. I, I, I will say this I've seen this movie a million times before. I'm not sure I've seen it done better. If this is the movie you're going to make, make it the way they made this one because everything about it just works, everything about it just flows. And, you know, it's set also during a very specific time in American history. Uh, I, I didn't remember just, when it was set when I loaded it up. And I'm like, why is this movie starting out with the entire history of America? I resigned from the president of the United it, States. We're getting out of Vietnam. It, <laughs> it just wants you to know that uh, America has just lost a war. The president has been impeached. There's high inflation, economic belays, you know, and and just things that we cannot relate to today. But you know, it really wants us <laughs> it, to understand that time. And I was, I had it in my notes. Is it clearly doesn't trust its audience to know when it's set. But like, I didn't remember going into it either, so I did need that refresh. But I was at the initially, I was like, "What the fuck is all this?" It's it's through the whole opening credits, the entire like like ten years of history. Well, yeah, it's 24 years after the fact. You know, there's a whole generation of kids who don't remember this. No, it's, 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 and don't remember how much uh, the 70s and 80s sucked. In my defense, it's silly. In their defense, I needed it now more than I did 20 years ago to be reminded yeah. of what the, what was happening at the time. And my only other thing was just really got to give it to Kurt Russell, who manages to, like, 
sneak into like one blockbuster every decade for six decades. That guy rules, yeah. and I don't like learning any more about his personal life. Don't tell me. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they did a good job of yeah, fleshing out the different characters. Can they work together as a team? Of course they can. But yeah, what are, what are going to be the problems along the way? Sure. Yeah, it's just, it's very nicely done. And I see, oh, it's the same director as Warrior, which is another movie. I was like, I know how this is going to go. Do you remember what I said? I like it. I know this is going to be cool. I, like, I loved it. Shit. I loved it. Loved yeah. Warrior. Yeah, I thought it was great. So I, I did a little bit of a deep dive on this because one of the things, the kind of the only thing that like went viral out of this movie is Kurt Russell's big speech at the end. Because mm-hmm. you know he's got to give a big lock. You got to have speech. one sports movie. And so uh, there was a video that went viral of a four-year-old in a little suit giving a speech that is adorable. This is your time. Their time is done. It's over. I'm sick and tired hearing about what a great hockey team the Soviets have. Screw them. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. Hell yeah. Put that kid in the Goonies remake right now. Love that kid. So, yeah, this went viral. He went on Ellen and did it. He went, he's from the Boston area. So, he went to the Boston Yankees opener. Wow. And did it and it added Yankees instead of Soviets. And the crowd loses their shit. Wow. <laughs> I looked him up. His name is Josh Sacco. Uh, he played hockey pretty much his whole life. And he's going to University of Notre Dame next year. Wow. Okay. He's wow. age out of the Goonies remake. And, yeah. um, okay. Yeah, man. Uh, but I there's so many times where I got depressed and I ended up just rewatching <laughs> because uh, everything about it just warms warms my cold dead heart. Probably a recommend for this because I trust people who care deeply about sports movies. Because of this show, I have to endure so many of them, and I'm not a sports person. I tend to roll my eyes at this, and I did. I did this time because there were, yeah, if you heard the last segment, more fascinating things I was dying to watch. Uh, yeah. so also means Fair enough. I didn't get to the, the next one either. Because what do I, what am I going to say about Barbershop 2? Uh, Keenan Thompson, Harry Lennox, Leonard Earl Howes, Michael Early, Troy Garrity, Eve, uh, Sean Patrick Thomas, Cedric the Entertainer, and Ice Cube. It's Barbershop 2 back in business. A real barbershop got real people and most of all, real barbers. The man. One day this whole shop going to be yours. <laughs> The veteran. A monkey can climb up a tree, but it don't mean you're going to get free cable. What the hell did that mean? The rookie. Just a little off the top. Oh, the hothead. You being nice to me? I don't know this woman. Did you know me if I shove my foot up your head? And the new girl. All done. Do I look like Beyonce? Just like her. Barbershop. Back in business. Rated PG-13. Yeah, Barbershop 2. After the Barbershop. sleeper success and- of the first movie. Yep, and bringing in Queen Latifah to set up Beauty Shop Next Door coming next year. True. Back to piloting it. It. This did not fail. I thought it worked. Yeah. Yeah. I, I. I thought it was funny. I. I watched it for the first time, and I laughed at all the points I should laugh at, and it carried me along with these people's hopes and concerns. You know. Yeah. It was. It. I don't want to say it was less slapsticky than the first one, which it kind of a little bit was. The first one I, I had a really good time with. This one I appreciate that they are tackling kind of an issue but in a way that's like are you gonna have to put on a show to save the rec center at the end like it's about gentrification that the money's moving into the neighborhood and it's it's pushing uh people out that's a real thing that my god happens every goddamn day but still it's just 
it's a hangout movie like Friday or anything else where it's just like it's it's a bunch of comedians being really funny. There is something of a plot. It kind of doesn't matter in the end. They're going to fix it. They're going to save the rec center. Cedric the Entertainer is so much fun in these. Yeah. Oh, my he, God. He steals the show every time he's on. And he actually has a really powerful flashback scene that works. I know. I've, I've been waiting to find out, okay, when's the point where these are going to, like, start to suck? <laughs> I was like, mm, no, I, I don't like it as much as the first one, but I still, I yeah, it's a recommend. I had a lot of fun. I haven't seen three. Have you seen three? Nope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I haven't seen Beauty Shop either, so well, we're doing uh, these in we'll real time. Cover next year. that next year. With that, so yeah. we can bounce on in the TV because, whew, it's been a long show so far. Hey, want a Janet Jackson follow-up? Because there was one. Did her boob go to jail? Her boob was sentenced to life in prison. <laughs> one of them. Um, no, uh, I just thought there was uh, several things that happened this week as a fallout of that. After the 200,000 complaints they got uh, after Janet Jackson's boob was sort of seen. Diana's making a wank motion, and I agree. But mm-hmm. do you remember MTV? I'm not, I'm not getting my boob out because I don't have my nipple <laughs> piercing in. But you can pretend that I did that. Do you remember uh, MTV had a show called Making the Video where they'd air a music video that was three minutes and then air an hour to half an hour program and how that video was made? Yep. Man, we were the, we were the kings of free time back in the day. So I watched a ton of those. I had us like a shark's fin at LL. Uh, making of the AOL Super Bowl halftime show will not air now. It is oh. pulled from the air before ever making it on the air. And the funniest thing I saw was, is it the Grammys? They're just like, we're not taking any chances with these musicians and we're going to go on a massive tape delay because no one could be trusted not to have their boob fall out. Remember when I said people <laughs> overreacted? The Grammys, ladies and gentlemen. See, <laughs> Woody Guthrie wait, is going to get sh- up on stage and have his ball fall out on purpose. <laughs> I really think that if they actually showed the making of the halftime show, oh, it would have totally. been like the Tanya Harding skating next to... Uh, uh, Nancy Kerrigan. Nancy Kerrigan. But just like, thing. what was the costume supposed to do? Oh, Timberlake is a fucking moron. <laughs> uh, yeah. That, but there's They your- could interview the costume, ask the costume how it felt. There's your follow-up there. Um, uh, a show I have always meant to check out, but it has had hard times in streaming. Ed, it ends. But uh, on the decently reviewed cult fan base, uh, not a ratings killer, but on the air for four years. Um, Ed. Show Ed. Uh, mm-hmm. also, I, I've also, I've heard nothing but wonderful things. Mm-hmm quirky and enjoyable and I haven't been able to watch it. It's on the, it's on the list and it keeps getting pushed down. I apologize. Yeah. Please go to the FaceTime group or the Facebook group or the laser tab, whatever's and put in the comments demand. You know, actually, you know what? This is a good one for a JR speed run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Give me the nope. top 10 best episodes of Ed, and I can start there. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, a half hour single camera show so that'd be neat uh mm-hmm. scout safari ends and uh ends after two years on the air i'm assuming that's yeah. a show for adults that we yeah a teenage girl named scout ah. moves from new york city uh to south africa it's a coming of age tale set in a wildlife reserve cool yeah. i won't ask why <laughs> and then the show we have to talk the most about Little God Bill. Boy. Isn't it adorable? Nope. Lil Bill. No. What? Lil What's wrong with Lil, Lil Bill? Bill? This is a vehicle for uh, Bill Burr, right? No? 
Is this a uh, show? Is is a show about Gene Hackman's character in Unforgiven? Sure. <laughs> I would love this that is so about, much. This is a show aimed at preschoolers on the daily experiences of a five-year-old boy named Bill as he learns life lessons and navigates his world. And you can guess who it is based on on our tone. Mm. <laughs> the bad Bill. The bad Bill. The bad yeah. Canadian Bill. Yeah, it's another... It's just Bill Cosby's just everywhere on these, man. There's just no getting around well, it. Well, he, and- he... I mean... Uh... I have to speak in defense of Bill Cosby now, but no, 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 I, I'm, no, not, no. I'm not, I'm not, but I'm, I'm saying more, the guy was always kind of driven to make children's entertainment more so than a lot of other entertainers. He'd done it for the electric company, Nickelodeon, Fat Albert. He kind of never not did that. Um, he was always, always he's something like that an entertainment juggernaut. He mm-hmm. produced so many shows, not just the Cosby show, which was huge, but so, so many other stuff. I mean, that's yeah. just the fact. He oh, did. Wow. And it's sad to say that in 2004, there were still not a lot of children's shows aimed at black kids or people of color in general. Or preschoolers. I'm betting that's a shrinking that demo even more. Uh, God ooh, damn it. And I, this is why we continue to be so disappointed. This is on Nickelodeon, and I am seeing, oh my God, what, books are often targeted, targeted for removal from libraries, the book series on which this was based, or vice versa. Um, I don't know if that's really fair. Uh, well, the well, book series was written by him. Yeah. Yes, of course. If he gets money, no, steal those books. Yeah. See, steal there them. you go. And then for the adults out there, the West Wing episode, Slow News Day. Uh, so this is the episode where they tackle social security reform. That is one of the most important, dullest subjects in American <laughs> politics. So how do you make... A dramatic series make that dull, dull, important, but dull, dull topic interesting. West Wing kind of pulls it off, you know? I mean, I would and it is dying to see Aaron Sorkin solve this in 45 minutes because the price of McDonald's food has gone up 200% in the last four years. Let's see how you can make the Social Security work for us. <laughs> the plan in this episode is more or less the plan that Newt Gingrich and Bill Clinton were within like a couple of feet away from agreeing to, but then the Lewinsky scandal broke and that deal fell apart. But it it is very close to the deal that almost came to happen. I commit to progress. We can punish our adversaries. Let's go conservatives. I Um, mean, yeah, that's basically it. It's about them secretly trying to put together a deal behind the scenes. And then that breaks apart as news of it leaks unintentionally accidentally and now they can't get a deal yep yeah and then uh lastly there were a lot of eyes on this because this was the next live network show to air after the most controversial super bowl ever the grammy awards and yes it was addressed uh who's the host this year no host host. but opens with prince and beyonce uh yes beyonce takes five awards home (laughs) no Uh, but the open please go watch the opening because i mean we were just talking about prince and some of his not best work him and beyonce doing a medley from let's go crazy into crazy in love Mm -hmm. is fucking great that sounds pretty it's it is fucking great. So yeah, uh, Beyonce cleans up, but uh, Coldplay Clocks wins record of the year. Speaker Box Love Below a- album of the year. Total endorsements on that song of the year. Dance with My Father. The uh, 
Luther Vandross won. Evanescence wins Best New Artist over 50 Cent. Fountains of Wayne, Heather Hadley, and Sean Paul. Um, I don't I don't know. Uh, and then, Elephant by the White Stripes wins Best Alternate Music Album. And oh. Comedy I Always Look For, uh, Weird Al's Poodle Hat. <laughs> awesome. And but, uh, what, Was he murdered by Madonna at the Grammys? Not the, because she's the actually Pablo Escobar. It's the great, <laughs> great Emmy Award winning movie. The closer we get to Weird Al having EGOT, I'm down with. And yes, of course, Janet Jackson was supposed to perform a tribute to Luther Vandross, but was blacklisted by the network because of boob. That sounds fair, right? Um, yes. Kick Janet Jackson Beyonce off the program. Every female should have yeah. Everybody should have little Kimmed it up uh, at the Grammys. Fuck that year. yeah, I'd do it. Oh, in but, hindsight, you know. where was social media then? Uh, and then lastly, we got uh, some two games to rattle off. I, I really got to see what the PS2's R type is because we had a discussion in Video Game Apocalypse last week to talk about how much we liked these those shooters of the arcade era. And R type in P- on PS2 20 years ago, I can't even picture it. What must it look like? It's a classic side scrolling shooter. Oh, it's just, it's not like a polygonal you. first person retake. Of, <laughs> no, no. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, and then Poyo Poyo Fever for PS2. Ah, this has been released on what I call caveman smartphones, those PDAs from back in the day. (laughs) This has been released on every single platform you could ever think of. It is addictive. It's not up there with Tetris, but if you want something Tetris-like that's not Tetris, big recommend. Well, yeah, with that, we will take you out by Megalomaniac by Incubus. That album is out this week. But don't go anywhere. I've got one more segment in this long episode of 302010. More to come when we get back. Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of February 2nd through 8th, who dog? 50 years ago this week. My God, what a time to be alive. But I'm going to start first with uh, 40 years ago this week is the final film of Bob Fosse, Star 80, coming out in 1984. It is the story of the Playboy playmate Dorothy Stratton starring Muriel Hemingway and Eric Roberts at his most sinister and creepy. It's a... Uh, it's a really good movie. It is pretty depressing, and it is a hard slog in sometimes because it is about a woman who is being exploited by literally everyone, and and it does not come to a, a good ending for her. But uh, worth watching, a, not just for Fosse completists, but uh, I don't know. I don't want to say watch it with Boogie Nights. <laughs> in a way, it's like they kind of go together. I, I sort of see that. But really, what I really, really want to talk about is 50 years ago this week. This week in 1974, we saw the release of Dolly Parton's album, Jolene, which uh, is pretty much a masterpiece. I listened to the whole thing. It's got Jolene and I Will Always Love You, which she wrote at the same time because she's not human. She is a magical creature. So um, I can't say I know a lot about dolly's lps to like pick out which ones are my favorites but my god this is where you should probably start this are coat of many colors because they're they're just wonderful and it's got a lot of really solid short tight songs on it man dolly's dolly's the best dolly's the best and then in movie news one of the worst movies ever made 
that is so strange and baffling that it is kind of a like you seeing is believing. But I've heard there is a director's commentary that actually make it make sense. Zardoz, written and directed by John Borman, comes out this week in 1974, starring Sean Connery in a red diaper, Charlotte Rampling. It's in the future, and some people are immortal, but some people don't want to be. And also there's, like, guys uh, living out in, like, the wasteland, and, and a giant floating head comes and gives them guns and tells them the penis is evil. And then one of them, like, breaks into where the immortals live, and they're just a bunch of jerks. And it, it is very strange. Like, there's... I can't even explain. Just, just every single scene makes you hold your head and go, someone thought this was a good idea. And they made it. And they released it. And then they were surprised that everyone was like, the fuck is this? So, uh, yeah. Zardoz. Definitely a good movie to get drunk or high with your buddies and make fun of. And then, <laughs> coming out the same week, also 1974. You know how we talked about movies they can't make anymore? Well, the one they bring up the most turns 50 this week. And they're wrong, because I think you could make Blazing Saddles today. Yep, Blazing Saddles is turning 50 this week. Written, directed, starring Mel Brooks, Kevon Little, Gene Wilder, Slim Pickens. I I do kind of want to go to the alternate universe where Richard Pryor, who's one of the screenwriters, actually stars. I think that would have had some interesting vibes. But I think Cleavon Little is so good, because he's got to be the straight man. And that's the thing that people talk about. You can't make this today. It's because this movie is punching up at racism and they use the n-word a lot but it's never mean it is the movie is only making fun of racists and also politicians and it's making fun of native americans i don't know they speak yiddish but it's um madeline Kahn fucking rules in this if you haven't ever watched uh Destry rides again you will get major flashbacks of why is she doing a Marlena Dietrich impersonation? What the hell is going on? Harvey Corbin, probably where people best know him from these days because people aren't watching the Carol Burnett show. I mean, it's just, it's an all-star lineup making, yeah, let's make a Western, but it's actually about racism and how the West was racist and everyone sucked. And they were, you know, people of the land, the common clay of the new West, you know, morons. I love this movie so much and I will fight anyone who says that you can't make it today because you could make it even meaner today, honestly. And there would be people who would clutch the pearls and those people would be wrong. So, Blazing Saddles, watch it with one you love. Sing along if you feel like. Yeah, okay, there's there's a use of an F slur. I take that back. But it's a dance number. And then in the end, some of the cowboys go off with the dancers. So maybe it was all meant to be. I'm not going to think too hard about this. That's it for this week. Stay classic. Coming into 2014 with Dark Horse by Katy Perry featuring Juicy J. It's number one. Uh, welcome to 10 years ago, February 2nd through the 8th. New releases in music this week, uh, such as So Long, See You Tomorrow by Bombay Bicycle Club. The Royal Sessions by Paul Rogers. Love, Marriage, and Divorce by Tony Braxton and Babyface. I, God, I hope they're still together. Flesh and Blood by the John Bl Butler Trio, and that's it. Uh, it's been a long show, everyone. But we got... I, this might be the most bombastically interesting news week in the history of news because of all the things 
all the things that I remember, all of these things commanded my attention, least of which being the Olympics. <laughs> they open in Sochi, <laughs> Russia. Cheatiest hell. So this Winter Olympics, allegedly, we're not 100% sure, may have cost more than every Winter Olympics before it combined. There was an insane amount, and I know this is shocking that a Russian organization could have this, but there was an insane amount of corruption involved in these Olympics. And uh, Uh, evidence Let alone the building of the secret tunnels to smuggle tainted urine away. I I think I remember reading about it like, yeah, the whole... The whole facility was like in shambles, so they had to like even build facades around like miles, so you couldn't see what it, it, it like destitution everything around around this part of Sochi was in. Yeah, I well, I remember seeing pictures of like this construction was so like it is supposed to be kind of temporary, but it was like so cheap. People just like their doors just fell apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's like they're were, made out of basically cardboard. People were miserable. And also, oh, I think right. I see a wolf. I think there was a wolf in and it got into a building too. It was like, oh, good god. That's right, because there were at this point we had athletes posting about their conditions on social media, so we were getting pictures and yeah. in, in some light video in at this point. And uh, what do we have here? A clip of oh, this is a not creepy at all introduction to the Russian Winter Olympics. No other land consumes so much of the north even as its terrain spreads to the subtropics. For centuries, as much as anything else, that immense, intimidating, and incredible reality has stood at the heart of its identity. Russia overwhelms. Russia (laughs) mystifies. Russia transcends. Okay, enough, Peter Coyote. Wait, wait a minute. They're not going out to the steps, though. Sochi is like a resort town on the Black Sea. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's you like, know, it's, it's it's kind Aspen. of like America has giant plains of nothingness, nothing but wheat. And here we go to Fort Lauderdale. Senior frogs. <laughs> <laughs> what I also remember happening at the same time, same-sex marriage is legalized in Scotland, which seemed like a huge deal, yeah. something America seems incredibly divided on. And... Here we go. Scotland's like, ah, whatever. <laughs> Have at yeah. it. They're already wearing skirts. There, <laughs> Maybe, I, mean, I made the easy joke. There you go. We're, we're talking about a one year difference between Scotland and America. And there but, were. I, I no still believe there's, there's 30 percent of the country in, ready to undo our same sex marriage laws. I'd be curious what the Scotland thing is, because no country is 100 percent on board. But yeah, yeah. Maybe because it's too foggy to be gay? I don't know. This is something stupid. I'm not speculating any more than that. It is cold and rainy up there. Love the one you're with. (laughs) Also, is this? it's not the episode. This is when the dumb Starbucks opens. No, but speaking of social media, there was a lot of people going, what the hell am I looking at right now? And it turns out what you were looking at was a a bit coming up for a TV show. But yes, dumb Starbucks. (laughs) I I remember this because nobody knew what it was in... The first thing they said, like, aha, it's Tim and Eric. It's a Tim and Eric prank. And like nerds were like, Tim and Eric don't do pranks, but it's registered to their company. And like, let's look at what absolutely puts out. And of course, they found out it's Nathan for you. It's it. I love that there's two episodes where he's trying to help a business and genuinely creates a global sensation that everyone talks about. But dumb Starbucks, if you haven't seen that might be if you watch no other episode for, of Nathan for you. 
watch the dumb Starbucks episode because it's so silly. Do I even need to explain it? Let's move on. There's too much to talk about. No, no. I mean, obviously, they're covered under parody law. If they call themselves dumb Starbucks, they are parodying Starbucks. To help Starbucks out a struggling, a struggling coffee shop, why don't we change your coffee shop's name to dumb Starbucks? But first, they have to establish themselves as genuine prank artists and start performing open nights for the worst prank songs I've ever heard in my life <laughs> <laughs> to co- legally cover their basis. They trick a lawyer in this. It's one of the best episodes of the show ever. And it's probably the biggest global reach reporting on it had ever. I miss that show so dearly having just, I- I'm still sitting in awe of the last episode of the curse. Holy shit. But I- I- even sillier news. If it- Flappy bird creator, Dong Nguyen, when? When when removes removes the his game Flappy Bird from online stores after it blows up, saying he feels guilty for making something so addictive. Yeah, he he didn't seem to have the right personality to be on the internet. By all accounts, he seemed to take internet attacks personal, mm-hmm. as if they actually mattered. Sir, <laughs> you were making fifty thousand dollars a day in wow. ad revenue from Flappy Birds when mm-hmm. you removed it. God damn. Yeah. Rent out your private island with no internet access for a year. Come back and be like, okay, a bunch of mean tweets at me, but now I've got $18 million, so I'm good. Hire 10 content moderators for your personal field division. It's more content moderation than Twitter has right now. Do it. Hire three guys to just write nothing but nice things about you <laughs> all day long and have that be your own personal private feed that comes over yeah, your Yeah, you phone. were really close to that rich person cameo life that existed 10 years ago. You could have had Kanye sing you a song. E- even more headline grabby. Uh, uh, God, yeah, this is one of these where I remember where I was, and I was I, A lot of this I was at a desk, so I remember... When you're with a bunch of cubicles, someone always stands up, gasps, and yells something like this. <gasps> Philip Seymour Hoffman died. And then it wasn't right away that anybody knew how. And it became even more tragic. At this point, I could say I, I didn't realize I'm close to his age that he died at. And mm-hmm. Relatively young and of a heroin overdose. Yep. He's only 46. That's how old I am. And he'd been clean for 20 years. And then he, he fell off the wagon very slowly. You know, he had a drinking problem. He had a drug problem. He, you know, got help. He went to rehab. He was in AA. And after 20 years, he was like, I could have one drink. I have some you heroin. Yeah, that's the thing. He said, I'm at the point where I can control this. No, that's yeah. not how addiction works. Nope. If you are addicted to something, never doing it again for the rest of your life is the way to go. That's that's the path to winning. That's the only path. And, and like yeah. I, I try to say to some people, like these things are by nature addictive. I might not be addicted to like 40 things because I don't know where to get it and I can't afford it. <laughs> if you're in his position and have someone who can get you things and you can afford it, you're in danger, especially if you have previous addiction issues. All these things do are, are be addictive. That's what they do. And so. they're more likely, you're mo- so much more likely to overdose if you yeah. had them and then you stopped and then mm-hmm. you start them again. Your tolerance is all out of whack. You don't know how much to do. And like a lot of heroin addicts, died with the needle in his arm. It Ugh. hit him like that. Ugh. That was it. Yeah, be- Because that's, it's the thing they use to put you under unconsciousness. It's, it's an depressant it's designed to make you feel nothing no pain and then you just 
keep on repressing your heart until your heart goes, I don't need to beat anymore. Yeah. That's what these chemicals are telling me. Dad. It just, uh, it pisses me off so much. He left behind three young kids. I think his mm-hmm. son Cooper was like 10, something like that. Uh, the one that was in licorice pizza. Um, I, I, I can't think of anyone else except for maybe Heath Ledger where I just feel like he had so much yeah, more. Yeah. Uh, can you imagine yep. all the cool shit? Philip Seymour Hoffman would have done at I this mean, point. Like it's unbelievable. Drama. He could do comedy. He was direct. He's there's, so there's funny. Such a breadth of characters that he could play, mm-hmm. and we're, we got cheated. Fuck yeah, you, heroin. Yeah. Uh, this is a clip of uh, when a reporter asked him about when he stopped using drugs. And why did you decide to stop? You get panicked. You get panicked. It was. Um... I was 22 and I got panicked for my life. It really was. It was just that. You know, I don't want to sound too dramatic and I don't want to make more out of it than it was, but I definitely was, whatever I was doing made me worry uh, if I was going to be able to do the things I wanted to do with my life. And um, I was putting myself in situations and predicaments that were dangerous. Even now I think about it, I was so young. I was 22 at the time, but I do remember thinking I, there's things I want to do. You know, there's things I want to do. I Fuck guarantee it. you when 46-year-old, if he realized he was dying, there were still things he wanted to do. Mm. There were still things like, oh my God, I don't want to die right now. I still have things to do. Yep. And if you're fighting addiction, I know there's nothing I can say (laughs) that is going to make you decide, oh yeah, today's the day I stop. I need to go get help. But I encourage you to do so anyway. I'm going to plug the Alan Carr method. I use the easy way to control alcohol. Uh, Alan Carr's method works for some people. It won't work for others. That's the way it is. His whole thing is to try to get you to not want what you want, to convince you the thing you think is giving you joy isn't actually giving you joy even in the moments you're having it. Mm -hmm. So if you've been trying to quit, I do recommend his method. Alcohol, drugs, cigarettes. He's got a lot of methods out there. I'm going to try it with yeah. air and hope he's wrong. And no. Oh, God. Don't do that. They're literally <laughs> nope, people I'm not that. breathing for the rest of the show. <laughs> Fuck you guys. I would, I would say go to a meeting because there's other people there who know exactly how you feel, even though you think they don't. RIP, oh. God damn it. Uh, well, you know, most of this is less depressing from here on out, even though we do have a whole segment devoted to dead people. But yeah. uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, that was out of no... I mean, I didn't know he had any history of substance abuse so hearing that was like it was triple shocking and triple tragic still don't like it don't like it at all but let's get in the movies of 2014 because philip seymour hoffman will still have posthumous performances in a mm-hmm. i think a little cg yep. part and some hunger games movies coming around uh but mm-hmm. movies we got first up bonnie wright reese wakefield freddie stroma uh daryl sabara sophie lowe and james darcy in after the dark aka the philosophers how how did this get made? Okay, <laughs> listeners, this is a movie about philosophy students. Okay, fine. I mean, they've got uh, stories Oof, to tell. I got it. I need to see that. I fucking it, lived it. Ugh. <laughs> it keeps flashing back into these dumb experiment, basically trolley problem experiments they're given where the world is ending. You can only save these people. Who are you going to save and why? Okay, no, it's a philosophy experiment because we keep flashing back to the classroom where they're talking about it. You're a movie. If you want to explore the end of the world and actually making these decisions, just have it be the end of the world. (laughs) Having it be a philosophy lecture takes away all the drama, takes away all the consequences, because it's just a bunch of jerk-off 
teenagers chatting about what they think is the best way to save the human race. <laughs> well, I didn't see it. I saw it, Split Critics barely got released, but it seems like sci-fi fans kind of liked it. But yeah, it's sort of they're just talking about Charlie problem stuff. But no, with none of the butterfly effects effects. So No, does anyone Boo. turn turn goth? That's the important thing. <laughs> no, no goth. one turns goth. The movie could have been saved. Anybody strangle uh, themselves in okay. the fetus? Um, <laughs> okay, the well, let's talk about a movie where everyone should turn goth and doesn't. This is so cynical. <laughs> All right, we got Gabriel Byrne, Olga Kurlenko, Jolie Richardson. Hey, she's back. She's back. Sarah Hyland, uh, Sammy Gale, Cameron Monaghan, Dominic Sherwood, Danella Kozlowski, Lucy Fry, and Zoe Deutsch, and uh, Deutsch, and Vampire Academy. Ugh. My best friend is a royal member of an ancient race. I'm a guardian. Your life mission is protect Lissa. You have to help him. You're welcome. And this is Vampire Academy. In this school, every vampire needs a guardian. Oh, no. Because a new breed to live in a world with a boogeyman on me is out for blood. There's a bigger threat still out there. I can't remember who loves us and who hates us. Let's make tonight our bitch. Vampire Academy. Vampire Academy. Must we? Sorry, this is, I'm getting, what do you call it, flashbacks. I dated a girl for a while who would see any in every vampire movie. And I'm like, this is so much worse than being a fan of the MCU or a horror fan. <laughs> because you, this spans genres. And, and and every time you see one of these, all, all I can think of when I see marketing like this, they want cheap, uncopywritten superheroes. That's what they're after because they all kind of do the same thing. Yeah. Well, these are copyrighted. This is based on a book series. Mm-hmm. No big shock there. That's a young adult book series, which is Harry Potter and Twilight mashup. Yay. Of course, someone had to do it. I bet there were other people who were like halfway through their manuscripts who all got so pissed off when this got published. Like, fuck, I was halfway there. <laughs> Welcome to Garlic 101. <laughs> right. But we also we have like a whole bunch of lawyer where there's there's dumb peers versus like the first 40 minutes of this are just lore and it's not even interesting lore dumps it's dumb lore dumps i i noped out of this like i gave it a shot but yeah they they backed up that lore truck and they just started dumping it all over the place and i did not because yeah it's about like there's this kind of vampire and then they've got like half vampires and they're supposed to like guard the other vampires but then also there's like the bad vampires and they're they're all different and then there's so and they have to go to this academy and then there's a bunch of like mean girl stuff where they're like spreading you know spreading rumors about each other and their vampire stuff directed by the guy who directed mean girls written by his brother who wrote Heathers. jesus i am a Offended. <laughs> you might be offended more on the next movie. I well, the next one I was just disappointed. I I wasn't I, actually offended. The big offense here <laughs> was that I I I wanted this to be the greatest movie I'd ever seen. I liked at that point everything George Clooney had made, and the cast was even better. <laughs> it was like everything. Yeah, uh, Kate Blanchett, Hugh Bonneville, Bob Balaban. Gene uh, Jardin, uh, John Goodman, Bill Murray, Matt Damon. Oh, oh, France just screamed. Jean Dujardin. Jean Dujardin. Uh, George, oh, the artist fella. Um, yeah. And uh, George Clooney in The Monuments Men. What is all this? People's lives. We have been asked to find and protect art that the Nazis have stolen. 
You want to go into a war zone and tell our boys what they can and cannot blow up. Hitler wants everything, and we better get it back. We gotta go! This is our history, and it's not to be stolen. What what a cool premise outside of the obvious oh. loss of life, like this, the most tragic part of war and, uh, you know, whatever overthrows happen is the loss of culture and identity that occurs during all this. And yeah. should have been a colossal movie that everyone raved about. It should have been Hogan's it Heroes. It sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would have been better than what we got. Yeah. This is such a tonally off film there's moments when it tries really really hard to be funny but then it's got the seriousness yeah. of war and maybe if it would have gone like the black comedy route where everything is just black and dark because they're doing this uh in the biggest slaughter of humans in human history uh they could have had something but it's it's such a misfire on every level yeah yeah i i was i was very disappointed the cast is so strange the, like, I thought that they were going to mine some comedy out of that of like, these guys are soldiers. They are like art historians and architects. And it's not just like we have to go into a war zone to protect the cultural artifacts. The Germans very organizedly were stealing everything of value and trying to destroy people. So they were trying to eat, steal it, bring the important stuff back to Germany and trash anything they thought was degenerate mm -hmm. art or too weird or too Jewy or it doesn't match Hitler's sofa. And that is really interesting the way that they just stockpiled everything yeah. in such an organized and creepy fashion. And this movie is so dry and inert and never made me care about something that I really care about. That's the weird thing. This is, this is something, yes, I care about. No, it's it's like the only t World War II team of inglorious bastards that all of us could be drafted into. Can you can you recognize this movie on site? I can, sir. We're going to drop you behind enemy lines yep. to recover All recover. Right. Uh, I'll do anything. Cuts from. <laughs> and this was a real life thing. There was a yeah. real life effort. Uh, the real life effort was about three hundred people strong. Wow. Uh, most of the work was done behind the lines, where they advised people on what not to bomb. They did do some preservation work in the field, but. Almost none of what you see on the screen happened in real life. And that's okay if you make it interesting, if you made it a better story. But I guarantee you, if you read a book on the real life monument, men, it is going to be a better story than what we get in this film. Yeah. 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 I was bummed. Yeah. I, I'm already fascinated. I'm the type of person who's already fascinated by certain efforts of historical preservation, and none of them happen during an act of war. So how could how could this end up being dull? <sighs> Monuments men die. Next movie. Yeah. I'm not sure. It's probably not the case. Do you think this might be the last movie we saw in a theater together? Um, I don't know. I know <laughs> we saw this in a theater together. Um, I no. There's probably there's, uh, there's probably a Marvel movie or something. We, we, we did a lot there, of Marvel but, Marvel dates and stuff, but like, yeah, which I, I like because all the the comic book guys would then just fill me in after the movie. <laughs> so I don't welcome. know who that was, and they're like, "Oh, it's so and so," and you're like, "Oh, okay." That was that was Diana ordering a drink and sidling up to some mansplaining right there. She yeah, <laughs> I'm like, yes, no, here's your chance to do some in. <laughs> Tell me all about Captain all right. America. But so, but I remember me, what I remember about this is yeah. that. The buzz coming off this was so undeniable that you, me, and Michael were at my house like, it's Sunday. We don't have anywhere to be. Like, why do we 
quit talking about how we might see this and just go see this. So we just walked down the street and saw a fucking movie. It was, oh, it feels like being a kid again. I, I'm gonna, I'm putting my chip down right now. The first great film of 2014. Oh shit! Oh shit! A movie that does yeah. not deserve to be this good. Everything about this, it should make me angry because it is cheap corporate propaganda. Mm-hmm. I fucking love this movie. That's why you hire this duo of guys because every time I read about a premise, I'm like that sounds awful, and then. Clone High and Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs end up exceeding everyone's ex- expectations, and they're do- doing it again uh, with the one of the biggest toys in our history: Morgan Freeman, Liam Neeson, Charlie Day, Allison Brie, Nick Offerman, Will Arnett, Elizabeth Banks, Will Ferrell, and Chris Pratt. In number one of the box office, it's the Lego Movie. Are you ready, my son? Yes, I am. Wait, who are you? They call me President Business. They call me Mad Cop. Wild style. You are so disappointing. The Lego Movie. Rated PG. Lego Movie. I just like that because I ran through so many of the characters and they're so, so goofy. So I'm still, I'm trying to exactly build the bridge because I want to talk about Barbie. Yeah, well, I, I think this is a super important stepping stone to Barbie, but it's like, what did I, I said it a long time ago, but like if. They wouldn't have made Ga- if we made Galaxy Quest now. It would have to be with the actual Star Trek crew. That movie would not have been greenlit. You don't greenlight a movie like this unless you have this license. But it is also it's it's the studio here is Lego. They are helping finance and they are approving of all this shit, and that helps movies get greenlit a little quicker. I think you'll notice. That might be why Warner Brothers and Lego kind of sat. They made too many of these movies too quickly and kind of sullied the legacy that you forget. This is I, I, when I saw it in theaters, I thought that was the crassest commercial I've seen hidden in humor and craft mm-hmm. ever. And I've softened on that a little bit. It's just a fun ride. And yet, and yet, <laughs> what blows my mind is yes, this is corporate IP, Legos. Mm-hmm. And, and we have a bunch of corporate IP Legos. You got, you know, Superman and Batman and. Gandalf and uh, Ninja Turtles and all kinds of people at least popping up here and there. Star the last time Star Wars and DC characters will ever appear on the same screen together. Right. And yet what I I think this is where I can connect this to Barbie is with the movie. The movie is advocating for loose IP restrictions and remix culture. Yeah. 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 And and saying, fuck your copyright. Do what is creative. But there's also the idea that their money is on the line. Whereas a studio, like, we we need to make this much money back this soon. Lego people can sit back and, like, oh, we're going to get this money back. We will make yeah. money off of this movie. I, they I don't know. They have a 12% increase in Lego sales, yep. wow. which was enough to make them the largest toy company in the world for a brief amount of time. They passed Mattel because of the increase I did, in sales. I did want to mention that because since we lost toy stores, and if you've been down a Target or Walmart toy aisle, it is kind of astounding Lego has its own area. Barbie doesn't have her own area anymore. She's got to split it with Batman. Lego has its own. It is so huge. How could this not be a success? Well, I just like how I like why it appeals. This movie appealed to everyone because uh, our generation fell in love. Like I, we're not the first generation to fall in love with Legos, but we're the first generation who had the ability to make movies with Lego characters. And I think when I was a teenager, they came out with that like Spielberg camera, make a movie, spit it in your computer thing. And 
and also the tangible nature. It's not claymation. These are things kids actually touch. They know how they relate to one another. And that the movie, they hire like Lego designers. They don't break the rules of Legos. They No, they, they go to such lengths when the numbers pop up showing you what this specific Lego piece is. Yeah. Those are actual real Lego numbers that oh if you were God. doing the instructions, you could follow there, the numbers. Everything is, in the movie build. is buildable. And there's not a Lego in the movie that doesn't exist as a product to make it. That pit, that would make it even more crass, but it was more about being authentic because there's been Lego movies made for years, the brick films, and they removed oh, this bowls me over. They remove frames. This is all computer animated. They remove frames to make it look like the stop motion movies fans were making with their own Legos. They took that into Spider Man, and then Puss in Boots took it, and then Ninja Turtles <laughs> took it. That was done to create an authentic Lego movie that everyone has been ripping off for 10 years. And I got to tell you, it fucking works. You can see action better at that frame rate in computer animated movies. It works real well. Beyond that, fucking charm. Remember when everybody loved Chris Pratt? <laughs> he could do well, no wrong. He's, he's perfect because he's like, you know, it, it's a lot. He's very similar to his character on Parks and Rec and that he's like a human golden retriever. Right. And he he's had, just he very been over, happy about everything that happened. He hadn't happened. been overexposed yet. It was like, wow, they took this fifth lead in a show I, I'm pretty sure is going to get canceled, made him the star of this Lego movie. The whole world was championing this film and it was yep. getting yeah. insane I, buzz and we just had to go to it the first week it came the first week it came out. When this was being released, we were filming uh, pickup shots for Dark Dungeons the movie. There were a couple shots we couldn't do in uh, December, so we had to film them over a weekend. And this was just coming out and I was in charge of catering, so it was a Saturday, so I brought in Taco Tuesday on a Saturday. <laughs> and my director, Gabe, was like, uh, so you're you're really supporting this small indie film that really needs your support, huh? Mm. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let me run through. I just I kind of want to run, run through the plot for anyone who hasn't seen this who needs some selling on it. The entire movie is a parody of the hero's journey. Yeah. That's well, the yeah. point that there is a a nobody who is discovered to have they, they think he has a secret power there is a prophecy which you know is true because it rhymes and morgan freeman said it <laughs> and then they have to go through a couple different lands to try to get you know the the magical MacGuffin to stop the super bad guy and spoiler alert all of this turns out to be the playing by a kid whose dad played by will ferrell also voices the bad guy only wants to build lego stuff based on their directions and design and does not like to mix and match things and he wants to literally glue the pieces together like it's a model not like it is an active creative thing that you can put the different pieces together and make a unikitty and she can <laughs> go on the adventures with the unit as a unikitty and also a pirate ship who's also a guy and all this other goofy crap and and they That's you know i would do they learn they learn that, that no this is not that's not how you pl you have to actively play with your Legos. You don't just build something and set it on a, on a, a table. And it's beautiful. But like I said, you're advocating, yes, break our IP. Break our IP. Well, yeah, yeah. Put Batman's head on someone else's body. Make a new character. And th that Batman character was fucking hysterical. Oh, I think the only yeah. other can't-miss Lego movie to come out of this was... Lego Batman. Again, 20 years ago, that would have been National Lampoon's Bat person, different name, but they made their Batman Naked Gun movie with Lego Batman. It's awesome. It is a huge, yep. Yep. awesome parody of Batman. And that's, 
because other than this, I think they came in way too hot with this this franchise, and they ended their relationship with Warner Brothers not not soon after yeah. the, the second Lego movie because it was just too much. The Ninjago movie, they'd been making Lego movies for years, but like made for video, low production values, no star quality, mm-hmm. and not Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who at this point, like I remember seeing this, and I didn't think anybody could perfect the Pixar formula of like. This will please kids and adults on similar and different levels, but it all happens so quickly. No one has time to get bored. They accelerated that like eight times. <laughs> it, it, the jokes come so fast. There's no way your kids are going to get all of them. It doesn't matter. It's still charming and it's still everybody still yeah. mo- just that they all move. They don't develop third elbows or stretchy yeah. arms or anything like that. They are inhibited. They're dumb, cute little things. And they even listed like the demographics on this because there's no ethnicity or gender really to Legos, unlike every other toy. And everybody went to go see this because everybody, almost everybody alive has a positive history with Legos, except for people mm-hmm. with sensitive skin on the bottom of their feet <laughs> and certain dogs. So much of it was like, I mean, I was sold just on, on the reviews because this looks so crap. It's just called the Lego movie. It's not even like an adventure. And it happens to be with Lego. No, it's just called the Lego movie. I remember rolling my eyes, but once I started seeing the previews, it was like, that's a laugh. That's a laugh. Mm -hmm. That's a laugh. And I got to say, Everything in Us is Awesome is a baller song. The that lonely... was on my running playlist for years. Who would hire The Lonely Island to make your Oscar-nominated movie song? Great fucking move. The Lonely Island yep. in the song. It's amazing. Lonely Island is... And Tegan and Sarah. And Tegan and Sarah. What a, <laughs> a ridiculous combination. Together again. Yeah. I'd, I don't know which parts of this movie are my favorite. I think, I mean, a lot of the stuff of making fun of, you know, Morgan Freeman is the mystical old man. That shtick is just so funny. Uh, Charlie Day's character, he just wants his retro spaceship, and he's that, so happy about it. Spaceship! 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 So spaceship! That was, that was, that was my... Blow out the mic. <laughs> that was my set of Legos, with yeah, the exact same broken chin strap. That, yeah. I thought that and was so the, fucking clever. Yeah, and the, the wear on him yeah. is, is so nice. I, I still think the MVP award for me is uh, Liam Neeson is bad cop slash good cop. Yeah. <laughs> Because it is so funny to hear Liam Neeson do a friendly, nice voice. No, it's okay. We don't mind. I'm not going to arrest you. Yes, I am. Charlie Day for president. And I love that he filmed those at two different days. They they wanted the experience to be so different that they had him come in one day, record the good cop, and then come (laughs) in a different day to record the bad cops. Brilliant. Oh, yeah. It's just so much. Will Ferrell seems like he's having a good time. Yeah, it's just like, yeah. And they cast all these, you know, mostly TV folks who are just, yeah, Will Arnett's killing it. You know, Batman's amazing song is very moving and dead parents, and, uh, darkness. <laughs> Everything is funny in this film. They, it's just really fucking well, funny. JR, JR, did you, you were a fan of Clone High by the time this came out, right? Yes. Did you, did you yes, automatically know to associate their names? With... I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know who made Clone High until after this film. Mm. I mean, and then I, I was like, "Of course, that makes sense. Of course, yeah. they're the ones." Those, I think those they brought back Will Forte as Lincoln. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think they deserve it. Yeah, that's right. There's Clone High references in this. I think they deserve a ton of credit for. I think nothing short of revolutionizing non-Disney DreamWorks animated output. Like nobody was able to compete compete with those those companies' churn, and they've taken man what they've done with. 
animation, theatrical animation is pretty made. Sorry, I just watched Spider Verse two again. Leave me alone. Uh, They're wonderful. <laughs> They're yeah. wonderful, and I've softened on because I remember just getting at the end. Like that was just once the live action started, that was a Lego commercial. It should have had white text underneath them because that's what Lego commercials used to have. <laughs> and it, but it, they dragged it out for as a surprise ending for a ninety minute film, and it really rubbed me the wrong way. Now I don't give a shit. I'm I don't know why. Maybe I've been dull into it. It's just a fun film. Anytime I see it on, I'll watch it. If I'm at a friend's house and their kid is watching, like this is watch. This is the good part. Yeah. Yeah. I I did that too. I went over to uh, our dog sitters and her kids were watching this, and I was like, "Oh, I love this part." And she was like, "You watch this?" And I'm like, "Yeah. Have you not?" Yes. What the hell? This movie is really like. There's so many jokes, and I'm like, I don't know how this works for kids. I shouldn't bring it up, but it was a conversation I had this weekend. This. Uh, a friend's daughter, eight-year-old, gave a presentation of Where the Wild Things Are. And I was like, oh, have you ever seen the Where the Wild Things Are movie? And I show her a clip of it, and she's like, weird. I'm like, it is weird. That was not a good kid's movie. That was a movie (laughs) made for kids who are now adults. And it's too sad, and it's too scary, and it's too long, and it's... What a shitty kid's movie that movie was. And I love it. But this is, I, I wanted to appreciate the Lego, the Lego movie is both. It is a legitimately good kids film, is a legitimately good adult film. Very, very good. Yep. Very good. Hard recommend. Biggest recommend of the week. Yeah, Absolutely. might be. Yeah. Might be. Yep. No uh, contest for me. Other yep. than the musical cut of, yeah, no, never mind. No. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, well, no. let's move on to uh, television of 2014. Seattle, Super Bowl, them Seahawks. Crush the Denver Broncos. Sorry, JR. <laughs> <laughs> 43 to 8, a halftime show, Bruno Mars and Red Hot Chili Peppers. Was that 10 years ago? Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. thinking of the weekend. Um, no. <laughs> Bruno Mars. That was, do you remember? That's when I think everybody noticed when Chili Peppers played, like, your instruments aren't plugged in. And they were <laughs> like, we're too rich to lie about this. No, they weren't. And nobody was playing <laughs> and nobody was singing because that's how all these are done. Like, right. Most of the yeah. time. Right, of course they are. And I found only found out recently they're not paid either to play the Super Bowl. How is that possible? And then uh, I, I'm conflicted on this. The ending of a show from 32 years? Is it 32 years? Yeah. Uh, a show yeah. I don't like. The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. It ends. Ha ha. This is the first time. No, this is the final the fi- time. Okay, this I was going to say, because like, his first exit is one of the classiest things I've ever seen. He comes out and he's like, there's a bunch of people standing on stage and like, these are the people who I've employed for 30 years and these are their children. This is my legacy. That's what I want to be my legacy. And he just leaves. Like, and he knows he's going to 10 o'clock and eventually going to steal Conan's job back. Uh, (laughs) But this, how do you, how does he end this? Hey, I know most of you people hate me and only tuning in. (laughs) Play the clip and you'll hear how he ends it. I'll tell you something. First year of this show, I lost my mom. Second year, I lost my dad. Then my brother died, and uh, after that, I was pretty much out of family. And the folks here became my family. Consequently, when they went through rough times, I tried to be there for them. The last time we left this show, you might remember, we had the 64 children that were born among all our staffers that married, and that was a great moment. And when people say to me, hey, why didn't you go to ABC? Why didn't you go to Fox? Why didn't you go? I didn't know anybody over there. (laughs) These are the only people I've ever known. I'm also proud to say this is a union show. JR, what have you done? Am I in the Leno camp now? <laughs> yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? I... <sighs> okay, let's get into this. I do not think Jay Leno is a monster. 
I think he's a man who liked his job, didn't want to leave his yeah. job, I mean, and when was given a chance to have prioritize his own career over someone else's career, he chose his own career. I, I read the book for that laser time about Cone. Like he, he was told he's stepping down for the night show. He wasn't asked, and it wasn't his decision. And he's just like, all right. He doesn't have a manager. Doesn't have anybody like coax. He also to him not reading the trades and not on Twitter. Like, man, I really missed my job. <laughs> that I didn't want to leave. <laughs> so yeah. I understand what you're I saying. I mean, he's he's a showbiz animal. He has yeah. more money than he needs. He is still performing stand up to this day. My yeah. wife and I saw him about uh, two years ago. I turned down and, the opportunity uh, to see him last year. <laughs> and uh, the funniest stand up I have ever seen in my life was. Jay Leno's Las Vegas show in 1993 or 1994, somewhere around there. Went there with my dad. I was like 15, 16. Laughed my ass off. It was every beat was perfect pitch timing. He just nailed it. And when I went and saw him two years ago in Vegas, 30 years ago, he was an A plus. Two years ago, B plus. To go down one letter grade after Mm, 30 years. Not bad. Yeah. You know, I was sitting in the 10th season of the show and I should be fired. But yeah. <laughs> the show, uh, I, I do like talking about him like that because I'm a big stand up fan. I'm a big late night fan of this era. Jay Leno didn't do himself any favor. He has no albums and no yeah. specials. And, wow. and you I can listen that. to interviews on him and he explains why he never wanted his act to be in stone. Yeah. On he record. talked to, he interviewed all these comedians who had, Hey, you did your HBO special. Yeah, it was great. And now I go on stage and I can't use any of it yeah. because all of those things people have seen on my HBO special. And he always wanted his to be evolving. And he did, you know, 12, 13 minutes of stand-up, five days a week for 30 years. It's just it's so, so hmm. strange. Even in the 80s, people would, like, this guy is amazing. You got to pay to see him. Yeah. Like, there, there's there's nowhere else to do it, and th- thus I have not. And it sounds like Diana has not. <laughs> but, yep. uh, hmm. and that's, all he wanted to do was the monologue, because he loved writing stand-up jokes. And his interview skills were terrible, and his skits were awful. And I don't like making fun of dumb people in the street, Jay. And <laughs> but you're right, probably not the monster he's been portrayed as, but a conniving little twit, nonetheless. Um, speaking of conniving twits, just kidding. J- Jimmy Fallon, <laughs> the late night with Jimmy Fallon ends. It had been on the air since '09, and part of the reason I'm tough on Jimmy Fallon, like what the most undeserved promotion in the history of promotions. Well, now he can just laugh and not get punished for it. (laughs) He can just laugh in the middle of a sketch and it's okay. Okay. But he's been hosting the tonight show for 10 years now. Yeah. I, I do not know what he's done with those 10 years. I'm not trying to be snitty. Mm -hmm. I'm not a network television viewer. I haven't watched any late night shows (laughs) in almost 20 years now. So, you know, I was all on the Conan camp right. side when it was the Tonight Show versus uh, Jay's 10 o'clock show. I was 100% on Conan's side. Theoretically, I never watched the show. So what did my vote matter? It didn't matter anything. And that's the same with Jimmy Fallon. I assume his average audience is people in their 60s, and he's probably doing a good job with them. But there is nothing I can imagine he could do to make me watch The Tonight Show today. Yeah. Watch a YouTube clip? Sure. The entire show from I, I start th- to finish? That's never. That's how I'm judging him, though. That, like, 
I don't see anybody share any YouTube clips. It's always like an acapella cover of this. And like the internet's you're doing things the internet did like 10 years ago. No, I don't see them share. They don't show up in my algorithm and most other monologues do, but his, he's not a monologue guy. And mm. I see Seth Meyers pop up every time there's a closer look in my algorithm. So anyway, anyway, uh, I don't really dislike Jimmy Fallon or Jay Leno, I guess. God damn. Am I becoming more mature person? <laughs> I don't like this. No one's going to like a show with a guy with nuanced views. I got to be <laughs> hot or cold, nothing in the middle. The, the, you could call this like kind of the end of late night in general. I saw a great clip of Rosie O'Donnell yelling about Conan to Craig Ferguson. He's just like, the Tonight Show is Johnny Carson's show. You should just call it the Johnny Carson show. It's something else now. It doesn't mean anything. He's like, he's right. <laughs> it means nothing. <laughs> like, our generation doesn't know the Tonight Show at all either, really. It's just Jimmy Fallon. That's what it is. Uh, what when you think of the tonight when you think of the tonight show as the big the longest brand in television it's because of johnny carson not because of the name tonight show moving on sorry because mm-hmm. i just caught a glimpse of some shit in here not fable anniversary the uh finally fable may be living up to its small and you promise uh <laughs> fable is a remake right of it's a remake fable. you know up res make it better but like a, a thorough remake not just a remaster yes. but what i have to point out I'm not sure I ever encountered an iOS game more addictive than threes. Diana, did you get hooked into threes? I did not, but I see another game I did play on this list, which is kind of surprising. (laughs) So I'm with you, Chris. Three is so indicative of iOS games to me because when it first came out, I played it. I got super addicted to it. Mm -hmm. I haven't thought about it in nine years and 11 months. It occupied like a month of my time. Exactly. And, 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 and if you remember, like, every time I play a mobile game, there's like, share this to social media. Like, why would I do that? <laughs> why would I ever do that and embarrass myself by showing people what I'm doing in my free time? Everybody was sharing their threes high scores everywhere because you could only have a variant of a certain score. So it was like saying I got to level 90 or level. <laughs> yeah, everybody was sharing their three scores. And it was just such a simple. It was it might be one of the best made for mobile games because all you were doing while required brain power was sliding things into one another in the most appropriate fashion because you you lost the game just by like having nowhere to go right yeah you just get stuck yeah you can't make any more threes you can't make any more threes and then uh another reason i think the lego film franchise fizzled out is like they really triple down on the video game content, like a ton mm-hmm. of expensive toy to life Lego video game content. This wasn't one of them, but uh, it was, I think, pretty well regarded by kids who not only like the Lego games, but like, hey, it's everybody from the movie. Uh, the Lego movie game is out for fucking everything. <laughs> everything. And if, is this the game you played, Diana? No, no, it is not. It wasn't jazz punk. Oh, it is Jasper. I thought you were asking if I played Lego movie. You played Jaspunk? I played Jasper. Look, if there is a game that is basically a walking simulator with good gags in it, around this time it's a pretty good chance. Jaspunk is pretty fucking funny. Jaspunk is adorable. I I loved it. I loved launching bread out of toasters and wandering around and beating <laughs> up a car in a mini game for no reason and uh going to the Soviet consulate for well, I don't know. I, I probably threw a bunch of chairs for no reason. You know. <laughs> but yeah, it's jazz, just so goofy. Yeah, Jazz Punk, a really fun uh, indie game. I think still on PC and Mac and Linux. You can find it out there. And that is 
pretty much it for the show. We're going to tell you who died during this period of 30, 2010, and uh, a little quiz you can play along with who's born. Stick around for that. It's real fun and happening in mere seconds. This is where we tell you to go to patreon.com slash laser time. Give us five bucks or more, but never less, even though you can give less, but don't. <laughs> Always give more because the price of everything is skyrocketing, and I'm scared. But in, in, in exchange, you can uh, get over 100 uh, commentaries, exclusive podcasts from Video Game Apocalypse, Laser Time, and 302010. Thank you so much uh, for your continued support. Patreon.com slash Laser Time. Die. Throw it to you. Yep. If you want to follow me, I'm on uh, Blue Sky at Listening Nerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D. Coming up next week, oh, Alec Baldwin is no Steve McQueen, I'll tell you that fucking much. <laughs> oh, I understood that reference. <laughs> Good. 2004, like, everyone gets out of the way because they are terrified of Adam Sandler going on first dates. Like, it's like, it, it's like the only thing. But then we, we got a couple bangers. They're going to make RoboCop again, and I'm not sure why, but I'm going to watch it. To compete with uh, Michael J. White's Android Cop. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. We have one of the weirdest romantic fantasy films ever. This was notorious in bad movie circles for a long time where I think there's like time traveling or maybe love story and they're an immigrant couple. And also Russell Crowe is a demon. And then also uh, <laughs> Will Smith shows up as the devil. <laughs> it doesn't make any fun. You are sense. making this up. I'm not. This is one of those movies where it's like you start to read the Wikipedia description. and You're like, no, I refuse to believe you are telling me the truth. Oh, boy. But we are going to watch an outstanding documentary. About vampires in New Zealand. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> I just rewatched it and I am so happy. Six seasons in a movie. Uh, <laughs> not quite. Oh, it, no, it did. No, it, it, it did. It did. It did. It's a movie oh, yeah. in six seasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And if that wasn't enough, we're going to cover Adam Sandler's most controversial SNL sketch of all time. <gasps> I, also with a Baldwin? Yep. <laughs> oh. Uh, we're going to cover the start of the great comic book crash of the 1990s. Mm. Oh, yeah. And Metroid goes down to zero. Ah. Mm-hmm. I know it. I know it. And all right, Diana, a lot of the deaths creeped into the news because they were pretty major and or sudden. Yeah. But what else yep. we got? Well, just to summarize, yeah, 1994, we lost Jack Kirby, the king, who's 76. We already talked about that. 2014, we lost Philip Seymour Hoffman, who's only 46. That is, he is a baby, and I say that because that's me. And then in 1994, on top of all of that, I didn't turn it into news because he was 88, and he lived a long and wonderful life, apparently, but uh, Joseph Cotton passed away. That's how you treat Jedediah Leland? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) First movie is Citizen Kane. Kind of hard to beat it. But he tried because Shadow of a Doubt, Hitchcock said, was his favorite film that he ever made. He's also in Gaslight, The Third Man, Niagara, Magnificent Ambersons. He had a hell of a career. Yeah. Especially I, I, in the 40s. I, but I believe those he's, are all so good. Of all the Mercury Theater players, he's like the only one who kind of got out of that shadow. He's the only guy yeah. who became a genuine movie star after Citizen Kane. Even Orson Welles struggled there. But uh, yeah, Joseph Absolutely. Cotton did. Yep. Uh, I recommend all of those movies. The did Third you, Man is like one of my favorites. Did I, you bring any cigars in with you? <laughs> <laughs> These nurses have this weird, weird idea that they want to keep me alive. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, don't make me go watch that tonight. Well, with the deaths out of the way, what do we got, JR? 
It's time for the birthday quiz. Birthday time. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Turning fifty. Fifty. Born February eighth, nineteen seventy four, in Overbrook Park, Philadelphia. Philly. Uh-oh. I know exactly yeah. where that is. Yes. Okay. Okay. No fair. Uh, he was raised Jewish, had a bar mitzvah, and started acting at the age of seven. A Jew from Philly. I'm going to get Diane on this. I don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. His first movie was in the 1984 film Billions for Boris and the Hotel New Hampshire. Oh, okay. How does it sound familiar? Where he acted along Jodie Foster and Rob Lowe. Yeah. He would go on to appear in the 1987 film Can't Buy Me Love. Patrick Dempsey? No. No. He's too young. Playing his little brother, Chucky. Oh, shit. He was in Woody Allen's Radio Days. Oh, uh, okay. I got it. I think you got it. Big Business. It is Seth Green. Yes. Yes. Bitch. He plays little Uh, Woody Allen because he's the only other redheaded Jew they could find up (laughs) short. <laughs> was also in My Stepmother is an Alien. Uh, I was going to jump over his more famous role in Buffy. Austin uh, Powers. And Austin Powers. Austin Powers. Get into uh, the Italian job without a paddle. Uh, Party Monsters. Can't Hardly Wait. Old Dogs. Sexy Evil Geniuses. The story of Luke. And uh, mentioned that he does the voice of Howard the Duck in yes. all three Guardians of the Galaxy films. True. Which are wow. also out this year, reminding me of the Chris Pratification of everything. Oh, yeah. First, first one is out. And uh, I think the, the director who does most of Robot Chicken was the, one of the animation supervisors on Lego Movie. Going to give a shout nice. out to Robot Chicken as well. Cause, yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, Family Guy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Yay. Uh, he's just a baby. I didn't know he was a Philly guy. I, if I yeah. ever meet him, I'm going to be like, fucking Overbrook. And he'd be like, yeah. If you ever meet him, are you not going to the same cons me and your husband had to go to? You'll meet Seth Green eventually. Sweet dude. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We're going to close out with uh, Everything is Awesome by Tegan and Sarah featuring The Lonely Island because it is awesome, just like everything. Please look up their performance at the Oscars. Right. Because I forgot I, about that. I, it is so much fun. The Lonely Island's costumes are incredible. Mark Mothersbaugh, the composer of the music in the movie, formerly of Devo, is there wearing a Lego Devo hat. And Will Arnett is in a Batman suit with a lot of Legos on it. And <laughs> I'm hoping he's really drunk. I don't know, because he's going crazy. I didn't put it together. That's He hosts that Lego reality show, that, that, that Lego contest show. It, yep. I was like, why, Will? What? Oh, there might be a connection with Will Arnett and Legos I hadn't thought of. Oh, okay. Yep. Mm. But also, they got shut out of the best animated feature category, which is some horseshit. I'm sorry, box trolls, but no. <laughs> no, I love controversial opinions because nobody has them. Fuck you, right. box trolls. <laughs> More of that I next have, week. I have nothing against box trolls. <laughs> I just think it sucks because it came out in February. People forgot. I don't know. I know. I just I had a friend at a bar last Christmas, and I was oh, I read Steve Martin's book, and she just like puffs a cigarette and just goes, "Fuck Steve Martin," and everyone, <laughs> everyone like turned around slowly, like what? And I and I was like, "Say more right now! <laughs> I want to hear a neg. Give me a negative diatribe on Steve Martin." And she did, and I'm just like, 
I appreciate that you hate Steve Martin in 2024 <laughs> or 2023. It's amazing. Anyway, we'll close out with Everything is Awesome. Patreon.com slash LazerTime. We'll see you next week. Everything.